Welcome back to the Board Game Battles podcast. This is episode 20, and today uh, we're going to be discussing two worker placement games, um, ones that have been compared a lot out there, so we're just sort of throwing our hats into the ring. Uh, the two we're going to be discussing are Lords of Waterdeep versus Yato. Um, we, with Lords of Waterdeep, we're including the uh, Scoundrels of Skullport expansion. Um, what really sort of ties them together, not that t- just the fact that they're worker placement, but that you're collecting resources to fulfill, in one case, missions, and in the other case, quests. So they have a very, they're very similar in that way, but uh, as we discuss them, you'll see the differences. Um, so as always, I'm your host, Randall, and with me are my co-hosts, Jeff and Drew. Hello. Hello. And this is going to be your sort of de facto Christmas episode, even though really there's nothing Christmassy about what we're talking about. Christmas is a hard one to do for board games because there's not a lot of Christmas-themed board games out there. And Thank God. <laughs> that which, Dungeons and Dragons is all year. It's all year. All it's, year. it's for all seasons, and it probably gets a good boost during Christmas for people getting into the hobby. You know, their kids say, I want Dungeons and Dragons for Christmas. And then they get, that's probably how I got my first red box, I think, was probably during Christmas. I think mine was too, actually. Yeah, yeah. Back in the uh, in the eighties, I wouldn't be surprised, anyways. Um, and then after this, uh, we're going to dis- have a, a discussion. Keep it Dungeons and Dragons themed. The new Xanathar's Guide's been out for a little a uh, little while now, so we're going to go through it and talk about it and give you our thoughts. So let's get into it. Um, we're going to start with Lords of Waterdeep. They actually both came out in the exact same year. But Lords just a few, several months before, in March of uh, 2012. Uh, and then the expansion for Scoundrels came out in 2013. Uh, designer Peter Lee and Rodney Thompson. When you go through their list, they, t- they tend to work together a lot. Like all the Rodney shows up on quite a few of uh, Peter's games, so I think they're a team for most part. Uh, they seem to work mostly in the Dungeons & Dragons titles. So when you look through the list, all the big Dungeons & Dragons titles has Peter uh, as a lead design, I believe. And also, you know, worked on expansions for Heroescape and a few a few other things. Something called Dungeon Command, which I'm not ex- familiar with myself, um, but it's out there. Um, and he also did, a, he worked on the Magic the Gathering uh Expansion Explorers of Ixalan. Um, and also one of the ones that he, he's done that I have played, because um, there's a lot of these Dungeons and Dragons games I haven't, uh, he did Tyrants of the Underdark, and that's a, an area control game that he did that I really enjoyed. So who knows, maybe in the future we'll get a chance to get that on the podcast. Artists, um, I, I just put down too many to list. There's like a, a good 30 or so artists involved in this. And, and, and when you when you see the game, you'll know why. Um, all the various artwork. It's obviously artwork that's been pulled probably from existing Dungeons yeah, and Dragons. Yeah, source books and stuff. Exactly. So there's always going to be lots of people contributing to that. So that's why they sort of list everybody in there. Uh, publisher, uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, Mechanisms, Set Collection, Take That, and Worker Placement. BGG rating on the main game, 7.8 out of 32,000 ratings that's huge that's a uh-huh. what's obviously been around for five years but even for a five-year-old game there's quite often not that many people who will go get take you know bother to try and rate it so the fact that it's got that many ratings is um significant it means lots of people have played this game and enjoy it 
Um, the, the expansion has less ratings. Uh, still, uh, 8.2 is the rating for it out of 8.1 thousand, which is still pretty respectable. Um, so, getting into it. The uh, the rule books. Um, because it's a, a big name company like Wizards of the Coast, they... they they put a you know a lot behind it. So when you go through the rule book, it's 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 colorful, it's well laid out. Um, it, you're not really hunting around too often when you're trying to find rules. Um, everything's sort of in a good order, uh, set up. You know, it, it's all there. It, they give you optional rules at the back for doing for trying different things out too. You know, depending if you want to try a, a longer game or a or shorter game kind of thing. They all the different just building tiles in this game. So. We go through the uh, the back of the uh, rule book. There's descriptions for all the main building tiles. So if you have any kind of questions on how a building works, it's listed. <coughs> so really, when you go get into it, like this is a 23-page rule book. Really, only the first 11 pages are, are rules, really, um, for, for playing the game and, and how it all works. And then the rest of it's mostly just reference for various uh, things. And on the very back of the rule book, um, it has like a good reference for setup and sequence of play and everything. Um, because it's this fairly standard worker placement game, it, it's not too complex, so it all works out pretty well. Um, and then when you get to Scoundrels of Skullport, it's it's more of the same thing. The rule book is pretty much exactly the same um, for layout and on how it it um, everything's laid out and is designed. So it's, it works really well. Yeah, actually, I, I taught this game to someone else the other night, and it it because I'd played it essentially once before, it took less than fifteen minutes to teach it. Yeah, exactly. It's, and you, it's yeah. that easy to pick when, up once you know it. You never look through the rule book again. Essentially, it take, well, it's yeah. it's, it's more so for clarification yeah. or something. That's about it. Yeah, you and you, for might, setup. you might reference one of the you know a buildings um, yeah effect a building or you know what yeah what its yeah, effect is exactly. But otherwise, no. Um, components, uh, again, very, really good components. Was it the coast didn't, uh, didn't seem like they skimped at all. Uh, the standard game, it's, a um, uh, mostly a cube based kind of system. So all there's, there's various cubes that res- represent your, your, um, resources, which in this game are adventurers. Um, everybody has a player color, which includes a, a player mat, which represents one of the Different, uh, the different guilds, um, there's the City Guard, Knights of the Shield, Harpers, the Red Sashes, and the Silver Stars. Um, when you get the expansion, it gives you a sixth guild that you can play as well. Um, they are called the Grey... Grey Watch? The Grey Hands. Oh, Grey Hands. Yeah, you get the Grey Hands with the expansion. Well, you put, you know, your watch near your hand, I guess. I, I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Um, the player, the game plays um, from two to five with the base game, and then when you get the expansion, you can add a sixth player. Um, rest of the components, uh, there's you know the board is fairly decent quality. Uh, everything else is is pretty much cardboard. Like you have the the wood uh, um, little uh, cubes uh, for the resources, but you know there's nothing really special about them. They're standard wood cubes. Um, everyone gets little wood discs. Everyone gets meeples that represent their agents that they put a, around the board, and that's how you're doing the worker placement part. You you get some cardboard for uh, marking buildings that you may build during the game, uh, but again, it's standard kind of cardboard, nothing special. But you know, it's 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 just fine. 
The insert is interesting in this game. Um, it's designed to sort of hold everything in a somewhat nice way. Like it has like little pools for all the different resources. It has, you know, all your player pieces have individual places to go for each player and then a place for cards. And they're all standard cards, but they're fairly nice linen finish cards. Um, mine, I've never sleeved mine and I've, I've played it dozens of times and the cards are starting to show some wear, but they're durable. They're durable. They're, 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 they're very fine. And you get a bunch of um, cardboard building tiles, which you can add to the board as you play. Again, they're they're fairly good cardboard, so there's nothing really wrong with them. It's all really good. The kind of quality you'd expect from from a company like Wizards of the Coast. It's it's decent quality. Now, there's a bit of a problem when you get to the um, expansion. The quality's still there, but they didn't quite match things up properly um, as far as sometimes when it comes to colors. Um, like... If, when you look at like mission cards, uh, quest cards, there's different types of quests throughout the game. There could be warfare quests or there could be commerce quests or whatever. And you take, a, a um, let's say, a commerce quest from the main game and one from the expansion, put them side by side, and you can see the colors are different. Yeah. Um, they didn't match them well at all. It doesn't hurt the game because the backs look fine. Like um, the back of the cards look pretty pretty close. So you can't really tell. Um, it's just until you, when you flip them over and you can see and you compare them side by side, oh, there's a difference. It doesn't affect the game in any way, so it, it doesn't really matter. But it is something that they could have paid a bit more attention to. And they also had a problem with printing that, like in, in one on the main game, when you flip a quest around. So you have the, if you're looking at the back of the quest card and, and you can clearly read quest, you flip it, I think, left to right kind of thing, flip it around, and then the quest that's on there is readable. Uh, on the, the Scoundrels uh, expansion, it's almost you have to flip it upside down to get the quest readable. So they didn't they didn't print it exactly the same. So there was things like that. Um, they could have paid a bit more attention to that. And there was a big thing when this game first came out. A lot of people talked about it. I don't know if it's still really a thing because um, you know my version was from back then. So if they've made any changes since then, I don't know. Maybe it's been fixed. But again, as I said, it's not a huge deal. It doesn't stop you from playing the game, and it doesn't affect um, anything during the play of the game. So, um, how you play this game. It's a standard worker placement. There's a total of eight rounds. Um, there's a track at the bottom of the board for keeping track of each round as you go. and um, you play. Everyone plays through a round and placing their agents on the board. Uh, and it's the kind of game where you play something, your agent on the board, and you get something right away, and then it's the next player's turn. Um, there's various um, there's various spots across, around the main board, uh, and then when you get the expansions, there's some little add-on boards you sort of put off to the side that give you more places where you can put your meeples. Based on the number of players, you'll get a certain number of agents to start. And then you have an extra agent that goes on the board and isn't given to you until you uh, hit turn five. And I, the thinking there is, as you're playing the game, one of the options is someone can build buildings. There's always a spot that you can go to to build one of the available buildings. Then there's always three out on the board at a time that you can choose from to build. You pay the gold to build a building, you, and there's some spots on the board where you can place that building, put one of your markers on it to show that you own that building, and then it's a, it becomes an available space for people to go. Uh, and the buildings give you a varying range of different things you can do. Um, sometimes it's a standard, you know, put your worker down, pick something up, 
sometimes it's uh, something that could build over time. So at the uh, beginning of the churn, you'll put like a, a wizard on it. And then if no one goes there to get the wizard, um, then the next round, another wizard would be added to it. So there's game, there's um, buildings like that, which will increase um, in um, how much you get when you go there uh, round to round if no one goes there. Um, if you own a building and someone uses your building, there's typically, there's always a little reward you'll get for them using your building. Uh, it could just be something as simple as getting some gold, but you might also, if it's a resource like a, like a thief or a wizard, you'll also, you, you'll potentially get one of those as well. Maybe not, not as many as the person who's using the building will get, but it's just something that you get for owning the building. Um, there's also uh, quests on the, on the board that you can pick up. At the beginning of the game, everybody will start with um, a few quests. Like you'll, I think, start with four, choose two or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so you'll have two active quests that you'll be working on. Everybody also gets a Lord card, which is kept in secret. And each Lord card gives you a sort of an objective that you're trying to reach uh, for the end of the game. Uh, the most common is that you're trying to get certain types of quests and fulfill them. And the more of those you fulfill at the end of the game, you'll gain additional points for that. So it might be like warfare and skullduggery um, or commerce and arcana, that kind of thing. So that's the four main types of quests you'll find out there. Uh, there's also piety. So there's five types of quests. Um, but you know, typically you're trying to get a certain type of quest. Um, and the more of those that you complete, the more extra points you'll get at the game. But there's nothing saying you can't complete other types. It's all open game just for what you want for your bonus. There's a few lords that do some alternate ways of getting additional points, like one um, based on the number of buildings you build, you'll get some points. Uh, if, with the expansion, uh, with um, Scoundrels of Skullport, uh, Xanathar shows up as one of the uh, lords. But he's one of the... He's uh, garbage. He's garbage. He, he's one of the more difficult lords to play because um, he triggers off of um, a, a new thing that they introduce in there called Corruption. And how corruption works is there's a track of corruption. It has nine um, pools, and each pool holds three skulls. Um, at the beginning, at the beginning of the game, all of the pools are filled with one skull on the on the negative one pool. And what happens is during the game, as you get corruption, each corruption will be worth the number of negative points based on the last pool that has been cleared out. So as soon as somebody gets one skull, the negative one is available. Meaning that, you know, anybody who has skulls, they're going to be worth at least minus one point at the game end of the game, but more than likely you're going to be probably somewhere down the, to the negative three, negative four pool when the game ends. So every skull that you may have on your board is going to be worth you know negative three to negative four points or so. But it goes all the way up to negative nine, so that could be really detrimental. Where Xanathar triggers, he gets so many, he gets you points based on how many how much corruption you have, but corruption is also scoring you negative points. So the best you can hope for him is to break even. I can see if the intent was that he didn't take the negatives. Yeah. They if if just, that was the intent. It, I don't, it's not clear enough for, yeah. yeah, I don't think that was the intent. It's just it's kind just, of a break even and use the corruption spaces. Yeah. Like he, yeah, that would be the thing for most people taking corruption is you're going to, because how corruption works is there's going to be special spots that will give you corruption, but they give you really good rewards at the same time. Uh, whereas like a typical spot, 
um, you might go to one spot to get a single cleric um, that you'll put into your um, onto your board to use later. But when you go to a spot that also gives you corruption, you might get two clerics and something else. You, you know, they really sweeten the pot, but at the cost of taking negative points at the end of the game. So with Xanathar, if you can get it so that you can break even, you can really take advantage of those negative spots without you but know, losing yourself. the points at the end of the game for completing quests is it is huge huge it so is. i don't think there's a way to compensate for that i've never no. seen him be able to play effectively and so it's gotten to the point where i don't even include him so like at the beginning of the game everybody gets two lords and they choose one i don't even include him in there because I, I he's garbage um but yeah that's basically what the scoundrels um expansion does is it gives you two different um, expansions that you can add into the game one is the scoundrels of Skullport expansion which gives you the corruption and the other one is something called um undermountain or something yeah the undermountain module which it's 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 just gives you a few more spaces um the big thing with undermountain is they give you some epic quests um in in the pool of quests where you can get as many as 40 points if you complete them, but they're really hard to complete because you need so many adventurers to send out on them. Um, but that's all Scoundrels of Skullport really does. Um, it adds new spots where you can go, which makes it easier to play with more players because um, then you're not as worried about the, the board filling up quickly. Um, but the big thing that it added was the corruption, which added a lot to the game, really. Um, but going back to the main board... You had the area where you could build buildings. You have the area where you can get quests. There's a few different places where you can get quests at the top of the board. You have something called uh, Waterdeep Harbor. Um, and that's where you go if you want to play an Intrigue card. So the different types of cards in this game, there's Intrigue cards, which are the kind of cards you'll play, which is really where the take that element of the game comes in. Um, everyone will start with a couple Intrigue cards, and you can get more as the game goes on. And they're the kind of cards you, you go to Waterdeep Harbor to play them, and you typically they're going to be the kind of things. There's some that are pretty benign. You play it and you'll get maybe like a couple warriors or something. And then other people around the table might get the option to get a warrior if they give you something or, or whatever. There, there's some that are pretty benign, but then there's some where they're really attacking. Like there's mandatory quests. You give that to a, another player and they cannot complete other quests until they've completed the mandatory one. They're usually fairly easy to complete, but it's something that slows them down a bit. Um, there are some that are attacking where you're removing um, adventurers from somebody's um, board, which is called a tavern, and, and and you know setting them back to the supply, which makes it harder for them to complete their quests. Or taking them for yourself. Or taking them for yourself. Sometimes you can take them from somebody else and, and give them to yourself. Um, there's some that will get you coins or whatever. That, the injury cards really, they, they play around with how you can interact with other players. Because without them, the only other way you can interact with players is basically just going somewhere where someone wants to go. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. Uh, there's one other spot that lets you take the first player marker. And when you take the first player marker, it also gets you an intrigue card. But essentially, it's whoever's the first player and you just go clockwise from there. Um, so that's essentially it. So you're just placing your agents, um, taking whatever it is into your into your supply, which is the tavern. Um and, and completing quests. So on your turn, you can also complete a quest. So you have a couple quests in, ahead of you. You can collect as many quests as you want. There's no penalty for not completing a quest. So you can always go and grab a quest and add it to your list of quests that you're working on. 
they just maybe give you more options. But um, every time you complete a quest, you you sort of depending on the type of quest it is, you'll either turn it face down onto your board uh, into a pile that you've completed, or if it's one that's considered a plot quest, it'll stay face up um, next to your board. And typically, plot quests will give you a, an ongoing benefit as you go forward from from there. Um, and usually quests will, uh, the main way of getting points is completing quests. So every quest will generally give you so many points. It might give you some other benefit uh, with the Scoundrels of Skullport expansion. Um, if it gives you a really good benefit, you may, you'll probably also be getting um, corruption out of the quest as well. Um, but yeah, you, you just keep going. There's eight rounds. On the fifth round, you get another um, agent. Um, so I think with we were playing a four-player game was it yeah yeah we were playing a four-player game and we were playing the long game so we each had three meeples to start and then we got a, a fourth meeple on round five or agent fourth agent is what they're called um if you're playing a standard length game then you typically will start with two meeples and get a third one on round five um we were playing the really long game too because i had both um modules from the expansion in play so we had both scoundrels of skull part and um, the Undermountain module going. So um, that gives you a lot of expan- a lot of choices of where to go. Um, you don't need to play with both. I, I you actually with shouldn't. Both. Yeah. yeah, it's true. Um, you should only play with one at yeah. any given point. I've played with the, both expansions twice now, and both times it became a little too easy. Like mm. it's a little too hands-off. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. If you play with one, there's still that just like just rare sparsity of places to Uh play and it also makes building the buildings much more important okay true yeah it gives you more spots to go to that's true um not that you can't play with both i just find a better game with just one of them included yeah we must that's that's how you play the game so this is now the discussion part so yeah um yeah definitely if you're going to play with the expansions you definitely want to play with scoundrels of the skullport because it's the one that adds the most to the game yes and Drew's only played it a couple times, whereas I know Jeff and I have played it quite often. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, th- I think Jeff's right about that. Like even the you know the couple times I've played it, you you really I think want to incentivize pl- incentivize players to get those buildings out. Yeah, um, and the, you know, have not just first for player your own reward be but... important. Like when yeah. you have too yeah. many places to play, and you know, with especially in a four player game, with a six player game, if you have six players, it probably is a little more feasible to put in both true if you have that many players yeah Yeah, four players with four players you probably don't want that many because it like in my first playthroughs of this game without the expansions before Mm -hmm. they came out yeah it was important to grab first player because next round you needed to get a resource to complete a quest that's right both expansions and four players it wasn't so it wasn't so hard to get yeah you You could complete quests easily yeah so and there, there was I, almost always a way to get the the thing that you needed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, it also made money less relevant because you didn't need to worry about collecting money to build the buildings. It's just whatever you needed for the quests. So, I mean, you could still get the lord who you get bonus points for however many buildings you build, yeah. which would make you focus more on putting getting buildings, the buildings out. out. Yeah, but I don't know with. With that many people, or that few people, I guess, both expansions just doesn't work. And out of the two that come with it, I do prefer the one that adds corruption more. The Yeah. The corruption makes a big difference. Um, because in the standard game, there's no such thing as corruption, so it's just a matter of 
you're placing your agents, getting your, your adventurers, and sending them out on the quests, and that's essentially it. You're playing intrigue cards as well. You still have that, you know, which can affect people. Um, but yeah, that's a sen- that's it. Without without that whole thing with corruption where you could potentially lose points. It, yeah, yeah, and it's like a balancing act of yeah. do I take the corruption for the really good spot in the hopes that I get rid of it later, or I'm not going to get too many negative points, or do I play it safe and just try and complete quests? Like it adds an element. One, right. Yeah. That, that's another uh, another reason you don't want both both expansions in there is um, I I found it very easy to avoid corruption. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it can be really, it can yeah. be pretty simple to avoid it. Yeah. It, yeah, especially when you have so many choices of where you where you can go. And this is one of the few games where it's a worker placement, but I want it to be a little dirtier. Like right. I, I yeah. want to see people playing intrigue and messing with each other, and I want to see the. Well, I know you need a wizard. I don't necessarily need a wizard right now, but I'm going to take that spot before you mm-hmm. just so you don't complete yeah, that quest. Yeah. I, like, this game oh, plays better with that level yeah. of competitiveness. I don't know. I thought I did all right with that. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm looking for, well, what does is, what is Jeff need over there? And maybe this mandatory quest that I have in my hand will fix his red wagon. No, no, absolutely. But, um, and, and this game is is set that way, set up that way because yeah. all quests are face up, so everyone can see what everyone's working on. I, I think the trick to it is there's, you know, even with all the expansions being used, there's, you know, there's really only a couple of places you can play it. You know, I'd, I'd yeah, I, I'd maybe even like an, you know, like I, I agree with Jeff. I think you know the intrigue makes the game. A little bit more exciting and engaging, yep. but there, yeah, there's just not. I don't know how you how you'd adjust it, but there's not enough with intrigue. both. Yeah, it it made the because there was also in the under mountain. Yeah, there's an extra place to play intrigue as well. And That's just, right. Yeah, it it wasn't getting used enough with so many places because you could just play to get a resource. Yeah, instead mm-hmm. with the uh, water deep harbor, there's only three spots for it. Um, where you can go and play your intrigue. And one thing I didn't mention, when you play a, an agent at Waterdeep Harbor, yeah, you play your intrigue card right away. Once everybody is done and gone around and, and finished using their agents, any agents that are at Waterdeep Harbor get to be picked up and used again at the end of the round before you go to the next round. They can't go back to Waterdeep Harbor after, but it gives you like something you can do with that agent mm-hmm. again afterwards. Um, but yeah, having that extra spot where you can play a, an agent from the Undermountain, um, you get a quest out of there and you get to play an agent. You don't get to reuse that agent later like you do with, with Water, Water Harbor. Harbor yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's just another place where you can just go ahead and play a, play a card. So, And I mean, the, the original game, without the expansions, it still plays well. Like yep. if you can't get them, the, the base game is good enough to play. Yeah, if you just own. have the base game, it is definitely still a good game. It's still but enjoyable. It, yeah. it made Intrigue so much more important with yeah. those three because... A lot of the base cards were take stuff from other people or mandatory quests. So right. it was, is you wanted to play there early and often for a specific way of like a specific strategy was basically just go all out on intrigue cards, collect and play as quick as you could. And then there was other ways you could actually win and ignore an intrigue completely. So it, yeah. there's a, a bunch of different ways you can play this game, mm-hmm. even as a worker placement, where normally it's just okay, I need this resource. You just place and hope you get it before someone else. This one adds elements where you don't have to worry about the resources as much if you're going to play with Intrigue 
And the other way, you can just ignore intrigue and just go all yep. out on quests. Yeah. So that's a level of variety to what you can play. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how after all that, it's a, it is basically a, a worker placement with you know, like they say, a take that element to it. How well does the theme come through? Like, do you feel that you're a lord of Waterdeep and you're affecting things in the city and and trying to screw over other lords? Is that do you feel that comes through at all, or is it just it's kind of slapped I on think, there? Do you think? I think the quests, like if if you read the quests and you look at like, if you actually look at the flavor text, yeah, yep. then then it comes through. If you're yep. just playing it, because I mean, if you don't get the upgrades that i know there's like different meeples out there that you have for your game that the warriors look yeah. like warriors instead of cubes and stuff with yeah. just the base game with if you're not into the reading part it's not going to feel like dungeons and dragons yeah and that is something to to um think about too if you're if this is a game you like or it sounds interesting to you um yeah definitely pick it up and, and try it base but if if you like the game at all i highly recommend updating the uh, cubes because the cubes, yeah, you get square cubes, you got orange ones for fighters, you got black ones for rogues, white ones for clerics, and um, purple ones for uh, wizards. So, yeah, great. You have four different colors of cubes, and they're supposed to be your, your things. Um, when I first got this game, originally on Board Game Geek, there was a whole thread where this guy was like, hey, I'm making these laser-etched uh, wood um, little D&D meeples. Uh, to replace the uh, the cubes, and they were just like little teeny guys, a little bit bigger than a cube, uh, but they actually looked a little like the wizard guy had a little staff he was holding. The cleric holds a mace. The fighter has a, a horned helmet, and potentially a weapon. I don't remember. And the rogue has two little daggers. He's black, and he has two little daggers that he's holding. It, it adds a little bit of an element to it because yep. when you look at your tavern, you see all these different little adventurers. It, it brings you a bit more into it. Um, nowadays. If you look at uh, Broken Token, you can actually get those same kind of exact same guys, except instead of making them out of wood, they're acrylic now. Um, but they're the same designs, same colors, and everything. So you can you can get those upgrades from Broken Token, and it uh, so it's not as hard to get them as when I first got them. Um, and it uh, definitely it, adds a level. It definitely keeps it more to the theme. Yeah, because yeah, unless you really are into the flavor text, it's. It's a worker placement. It's, it's a, yeah. a standard worker placement, exactly. Yeah. And you're, you're completing because you look at or whatever. Like, just with your lords, you're going to look at the beginning. And then unless you forget what your lord is, you're going to stick it down and you're never going to look at it again. Yeah. Like, so yeah. he's not adding anything to the game. And and people, it's pretty usually pretty easy to see what kind of lord or what your, your goal is just from... Because usually most lords, it's you're completing a type of quest. Mm-hmm. So people will just watch. Oh, he's taking commerce quests a lot. So yes, you I'll, are. <laughs> and my lord actually didn't care what kind of quest it was. It's just whatever I decided was the one that mm-hmm. I was going. So I was taking commerce on, on our on my particular one. But, well, and, uh, and yeah, the, I, you, I don't know. I, I think you could have probably overlaid this with any number of themes. I, I don't yeah. know that there's such a strong immersion of of D and D in here, but at the same time, it you know it, it was. I, I thought it was a, a thoroughly enjoy you know enjoyable game. I yep. I really liked the mechanics. Um, I, I thought the mechanics were fairly well balanced. Other than I like you know said earlier, I would have liked to have seen a bit more intrigue happening. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, it didn't um, help that I played like a card to put corruption on a board space. Yeah, well, and know, that blocked people from because they didn't yeah. want any more corruption. Yeah. So they a water deep playing. space. Yeah. yeah. So that I mean, there's ways to mess with it because I was, 
I didn't have a lot of intrigue cards and you were playing a lot. So I'm like, okay, I'm well, going to yeah. put some corruption there just to make it. It, it, cost it seemed something. like that was, that was almost one of the, one of the more fun mechanics was, was the intrigue. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, just not, not enough spaces for it. I mean, there's, there was, you know, multiple spaces to, to collect the intrigue cards, just not enough to, to actually play them. Yeah. So I, like I said, I, I don't know how you, how you'd adjust that in a game, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the only, I think my only criticism of, well, of the again, game was I would love to see more intrigue. Yeah. And again, taking out the Undermountain um, expansion, which gets rid of that one place where you can play intrigue and, and making it so the only place to play intrigue was, was the, was the harbor. Um, might have helped with that because then people would probably be more likely more to go aggressive. there, more aggressive to try to play in there and and take the corruption that you were, you placed on that one space. But yeah, um, other than that, though, yeah, no, it's, it's a definitely a, it's an excellent game. It's a solid I've, game. It's a solid yeah. game. I've played it a lot. I think my one complaint with this game is the lords themselves, uh, especially they're with kind of bland. Or... Well, they're bland, mm-hmm. and with the expansion, they're not equal. True. I mean, forget Xanath- Xanathar. He's yeah, he's, he's, he's garbage he's, and shouldn't yeah. be in the game. Period. <laughs> but there's uh, certain ones that their rewards they get more victory points easier than other people would for the same thing. Like it just yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't look like they put a lot of thought in the balance of it. Doesn't impact a lot. Usually, you can see by the end who's won anyways, regardless of what the Lord's going to be adding for the most True. part. If, if, if it's a close a, race, if somebody has gotten way ahead, yeah, yeah, it can, the Lord's not going to add that much that you're going to catch up to him. Maybe. Yeah. Unless you've been really lucky and been able True. to just collect exactly yep. what they need. But overall it's kind of, they, they feel more like a tiebreaker at the end. If you're close, you right. don't know. It puts that suspense, but the, I'd say the original box stuff that, it was okay balanced for yeah. the lords, but they were a bit bland. And then the expansion added a few things that just, it was a little over the top with some and a little, yeah. well, Xanathar. Yeah, but, forget Xanathar. Yeah, forget they, Xanathar. They should have just made them different than, than the whole corruption. Well, thing. they wanted yeah. to include something for the corruption mechanic. It just was, it was poorly implemented. Yeah, it, it should have been done differently. Yeah. I mean, and even making a house rule that he doesn't count negative points, maybe it'd be too powerful though, because you just, Got up as on, much as yeah, you could. As much as you could. But it would maybe matter. make it so you're not they're not worth as much too. Yeah. It's hard to say. Make but. them worth a point each or something and no negative yeah. instead of the four, I think he four points for it or something like that. So if you if you could change the lords in some way, what do you think would make that better? I don't know. I, I think the original like most of the lords in the original game were basically just four points to complete this it, type of quest. This type or this thing. type. It yeah. give you two yeah, types of quests. Two. Yeah. And that, that's not bad for what the game is. And like, the building one the, was similar. as either four or five points per building, per building. you built. Yeah. It, it, it's like I said, when it, when you think of it as a mechanic more of a tiebreaker at the end or what kind of quest you're going to focus on, it's well, not I, bad. I think, it was, I think it was maybe more important in, in that sense. Um you know, it, it kind of adds some balance in that, you know, the Lord that you got, you know, let's say is, is, um, you know, Arcana and Warfare quests. And then the one I get is the other, you know, well, you know two of Skull the other three and Commerce or something. So it, it kind of, you know, directs you to a different set of, of quests than, than yeah. for me. And that way we're not, you know, we're not competing, um, you know, too much over the same, over the same quests. 
I, well, I think if if there was, you know, you might get a you know sort of a runaway where the imbalance you know, one, the, the stronger in, player can just take over an entire. The imbalance comes in for the ones that are like arcana focused. If you get someone who's like warfare and piety, say I I can't remember. It's hard to remember every lord they put in this game, so I don't remember the combinations. But and it doesn't matter so much. It's just. But Most it, lords are two different types. Yeah. yeah, but the ones that get Arcana as one of their types are usually less off because Arcana quests are harder to complete than most of the others because the amount of wizards you need. And, and the same with rarity. Piety, too, because they're similar. Yeah, the, yeah. The ones Piety's harder to the get. other yeah. one. But yeah, the clerics one, one are a little more available. One. Clerics do come a little more readily, though, just as quest rewards. In as a quest lot rewards. Of yeah, as quest rewards, yeah. yeah. So they're not as bad, but... The, and and the, I think there is... There is um, well, maybe it's a, maybe it's a sort of across the board. There there were intrigue cards that, you know, allowed me to you know oh I get you know two of some type of, uh, you know, resource and give somebody else one of them. So yeah, there yeah, there know. are ways. If you play intrigue, you can finish Arcana a little easier. I found a little bit easier. But yeah, that the lords, like I said, if you just treat them as. You typically want to be so far ahead of people in points that your lord's not going to matter. That was going to be a big, um, yeah, not not so dependent on yeah. how you how well you're doing with him. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. Okay, well that um, that's good for the talk on uh, Waterdeep. So now we'll move on to the next game, Yedo. Uh, it was released in October of 2012. Uh, the designers are Thomas von Ginst and Wolf Plunk. Um, now, these guys don't have a lot of uh, credits to their names. Uh, Yato was their first game. Then there's one called Kill Shakespeare. And then another one called Dragon's Gate College. So I'm not really familiar with either, either of those. Um, the only one I really had heard of is Yato. And that's mainly because it's been compared to Lords of Waterdeep so much. Uh, artist, uh, Franz Vowinkel. Uh, publishers, Eggert Spiel, IDW Games, Yellow... Pandasaurus Games, Pegasus Spiel, so the typical Northern and European publishers that you'll you'll see out there. Mechanisms, um, action slash movement programming, auction bid, bidding, hand management, set collection, and worker placement. And BGG rating, seven point five out of two point seven thousand ratings. Not so, not definitely not as many people have played this one as as Lords of Waterdeep, uh, but it still has a, a respectable rating. It just not as big out there, not as not as uh, well known. Uh, so going into the uh, the game itself, rule books. The rule book is a, a pretty, it's a it's a nicely it's a nice looking rule book. Um, it may not have may not be quite as nicely laid out as Lords is. Uh, it does have like um, some good references at the very beginning uh, for the v- various components um, and for the the setup and everything. And it does break down a few different spots where different ways you can play the game. Um, like there's like the standard way to play the game, or you can play it like on the more, I guess, uh, more difficult, the difficult way of playing it, which is they call the samurai mode, which makes it a bit, maybe a little bit more brutal, uh, which is the way that we played it. We did play it in samurai mode. Um, but uh, when you go through the, the setup, you know, the setup is described. Uh, fairly well in here. It's, it, you, you, as long as you're going through it point by point, you'll you'll get it all set up fine. Um, and then you know it takes you through the different phases. So in this game, um, it's a worker placement, but there's seven different phases to each round. Um, and so in the book, each phase is, is laid out. Um, but it can get a little confusing because in some spots, you know, they'll talk about 
um, like they'll give you examples in the various areas and how to play it, but then they'll also go in and talk, start talking about if you're playing it two to three players, this is what you'll do different. So if you're trying to find a specific rule and, and you're also having to wade through alternate stuff for two to three players, it can be a bit much um, the way it's laid out. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the, the rulebook could be laid out a little bit different that way. Uh, and the, and the book is a full, you know, it's a 15 page book and the pay, and the rules go from the first page to the 15th page all, you know, all the way. So there's quite a bit in here. So it does take a bit more to get through it. So there's a, there, there's definitely more to this game, uh, as compared to Lords. Um, but okay. So that's the, uh, the rule book component wise. Um, the components are definitely good. It's a really big board. Um, so it's about a third bigger than the Lords of Waterdeep board. Um, so Lords of Waterdeep, uh, I have this thing and I have, I'll have a picture that I'll link, um, in the show notes just so you can see, um, I got this new thing called, um, the lazy gamer. It was like a, a Kickstarter I got and it's basically a lazy Susan for board games. And so you stick it on the middle of your table, you put your board on it and then you have the ability to turn it around and, and make it easier for people to get to different spots or, or do different things in the board without having to get up and go around the table or whatever. So with Lords of Waterdeep. Um, I was able to get the main Lord's uh, board on there and the three little sideboards that came in the expansion below it all on this laser gamer and it, uh, it, it, you know, it fit fine. And then there was also some space on the side where I could put resources in cups for people to, to take. In uh, Yato, um, the board took up the whole laser gamer. So it's a big board. It took up all the space. Um, there wasn't really much of a need to have... Um, stuff off the side, uh, like there was in um, in Lords. So the fact that it took up the whole um, the whole uh, turntable it wasn't a big deal. Um, but it's a, it's a big size board, so you have to be prepared for that. Uh, other things in this game, there's a lot of different types of cards. There's mission cards. Um, there's uh, tiles for weapons. There's um, action cards and bonus cards and event right. cards. Yeah. And the the mission cards are a fairly big card. They're not. They're almost like a tarot size, but they're different. So they're if you're looking to sleeve them, good luck with that. Good luck, <laughs> yeah, because it's not <laughs> a standard tarot size. You could probably you use the tarot sleeve. It'd just be awkward. Um, and then the other ones, they're they're a bit smaller. They're they're not like a standard card size. They're smaller than that, but they're not again. It must be a European size or something. They might be, and I, I wouldn't say they're mini, but they're they're not standard card size either. So it's sort of an in between size. So probably you could probably find sleeves for them. I'm sure. I don't know that they needed it though. They like, didn't really need it. Like no. they they were durable enough that you could shuffle these up quite a few yep. times that before you'd see wear. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, so those are the different types. There's lots of different types of cards. Uh, so everybody has pawns that they're placing on the board. You have various discs on the board. Um, one for Player order, one for bidding order, because there's a bidding phase in this game, um, and one for the point tracker. Uh, the point tracker doesn't wrap around the board. It's, it's just sort of like a, it takes up well, not quite two sides of the board, like maybe a side and a half of the board, because um, it goes from zero, um, negative one or zero. Not sure. Actually, I think it goes from zero. It goes from zero. That's right. It goes from zero up to whatever. 60. 60. We never... Um, as far as playing the game, we never got to 60. Maybe after the final scoring, someone got close. I don't remember, but... No, I think yeah. I had just hit 40, was it Maybe. About? 
Like, yeah. It, yeah, it, it was a ways away. Yeah. Whereas Lords, it it had a, a point tracker that wrapped the board, and then you get like a a hundred point marker for it. if you if you wrap it, then you bring out your hundred point marker to, to show that you've hit a hundred, and then you keep going. So it's definitely a different style for that. You're definitely not as high a scoring game. Um, so you got the different uh, tokens. There's a couple guards that sit on the board, um, and the guards. Um, they, well, as I go through the um, how the, or, the game plays, um, you'll just discover what the guards do. Um, but they're they look like a standard kind of pawn with a little crown, so similar to something you might see in uh, like in Notre Dame. Um, everybody has their special visitor um, or a special worker that looks kind of similar to this. Now, was this the one with the production issues and sometimes didn't come with these pieces? Yeah, um, I know. I remember. I got mine secondhand, and the guy who I got it from was missing one of the guards. There's two guards, a red and a blue guard, and um, there's also one generic. Everybody has their own color for the um, the little discs that they're using on the board, uh, but there's also a generic uh, gray one for a round marker. Um, and so he was missing the blue guard and the round marker. And then I looked online, and somebody else had complained about missing those exact same pieces. So I'm assuming it was a production thing. Um, I, I think he thought he lost them because when I got the game from him secondhand, he indicated that uh, I'm missing those two pieces. He didn't indicate that they never came or, or whatever, but I think it's possible that they never came. He may just not have realized it, but, um, so I, I, I actually went online and I, I found a place that sold, um, generic gray cylinders so that I could use for a round, a round marker, which matched perfectly. And then I couldn't find the exact um, guard kind of um, pawn out there. So it's not a common thing that you could just buy. But I did find um, through the Spiel um, company, I can't remember the full name of them, but it has Spiel in the title. Pegasus Spiel or the Eggert well, Spiel? It, it's something like that, though. Um, but it's more of a generic, you can go to this place and buy components. And they had these special things, these special um, these special pawns that are designed to to match different kinds of games so like they had spaceman spawns um pawns that you could use with like roll for the galaxy which doesn't really have a pawn in it it's more like you're replacing your your money token with this little special spaceman token but they have a lot of specialty pawns like that that you can put into games and they had these two little guards um now this is a, a game that takes place in japan and the guards that I found were Chinese, but they, they basically looked like a like a little dude with a spear. So I figured, okay, look like know, a guard. They look like a guard. They'll do. So I bought a red and a blue. So I had matching, and then I, I put them into the game just to, to take care of the fact that I was missing the blue guard. So, and that is it. Spielmaterial.de. Okay, hey, you found it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but they do a lot of specialty pawns. So if you're ever looking for something to spruce your game up or, or whatever, go check out spielmaterial.de um, because you'll find some interesting stuff there. They have a lot of different um, designs that you could... They have like a, some kits, like there's one for Pandemic, so you can replace all the standard Pandemic pawns with these specialty ones that match the different roles. So it was kind of interesting that way. Um, but these little Chinese... Guards work, work just fine for Yato, and so they, they came in and replaced my guards. 
Um, but yeah, that's the basically the component quality. It's your standard kind of cards. Um, I, I think they had a bit of a, a linen finish, but they weren't like heavy. They might have been a lighter one. Yeah, they weren't yeah. very heavy. Yeah, they weren't very heavy. If they were linen finish at all, they were, they were, they were lighter. Um, and then there's cardboard pieces, like the cardboard tiles for, um, for these little rooms you can add onto your, um, onto your player board or for the weapons that you'll buy to help fulfill quests. And they were standard thickness, nothing special, but they were, they were good quality. Um, but so the most, for the most part, the quality of the game is, is, is good. It's a, it's a good quality game. Um, how the game plays. So it's a little different because it has phases that you have to uh, go through for each round. So you'll determine who your first player is uh, randomly. And then from there, uh, player order is going to change based on, um, on different things. So there's seven phases in this game. A prep phase, the bidding phase, the event phase, the assigning phase, the watch patrol phase, the trade phase, and the action phase. So you have to go through all those different phases. And then as you go through them... Um, you do all your different things, and then at the end of the game, or end of the round, you'll start again. This this game has 11 rounds, so more rounds than the other. Um, and it plays up, um, I think, from two to five players. Yeah, two to five. Cl- cunning clan leaders. Say that rule you know, five times fast. Um, the prep phase is pretty self-explanatory. You're setting the round up. You're filling up the different um, spaces if you need to fill them or whatever. Then there's the bidding phase. Um, it starts out in player order. So however your player order is, the bidding uh, track will be the same. And everyone decides, are they taking part in bidding? And what you're bidding on is uh, along the side, um, one side of the, the, the uh, of the board and where all the mission piles are, are spots that you can bid on. Um, there's actually like three different sections. And each section has two to three different spots that you can choose um the first section has the action cards the bonus cards and the weapon tiles um the second section has the um the the rooms that you can add to your uh, your player board and geishas that you can get and then the third section has um additional player pieces that you can get um pawns that you can use for on your turn and the missions and um, so whoever's the first player, if nobody's passing, so if no one want, if you don't want to take part in bidding, you'll just say, I'm not taking part in bidding. You'll get three coins and then you'll set out the bidding phase. And everybody who's, saying, who's doing something in the bidding phase, will, the first player will choose, okay, I'm going to bid on um, weapons. So they'll put the minimum bid and um, depending on the area, it might have a minimum bid of three. It could be up to five coins so you'll put whatever the minimum bid is for that space down and then in player order everybody chooses if they're going to try to outmatch you or not so the next player can bid anywhere from four or more to beat you and then the next player from there will try to beat them and then once everyone's gone it comes back to the first player again and they have one last chance to to take that spot if they want it by beating whatever the highest bid is Um, so whoever wins the space will move their pawn, um, little tracker thing from the, the bidding track over to that space and then perform the action. Um, for the, the, first, the first area, which is the actions, the bonus cards, and the weapons, the action is you'll take th- the top three cards or tiles 
look at them, choose one, and then discard the others. Um, for the action cards and the bonus cards, discarding means putting them at the bottom of the pile. For the weapons, it's putting them face up in the discard spot. Uh, for the um, other areas, for the building of a building or of a room, your whatever you whatever you pay for that bid, whatever you win it with, you'll get to choose one of four different rooms, which will go onto your player board. And there's a limited number of each one, so not everybody will be able to put build all four rooms, and each room will give you different bonuses throughout the game. Uh, geishas will add to your board. There's a spot on each player board for three geishas, so you can never have more than three. Um, the pawns, everyone starts the game with two um, agents or whatever they're called in this game that they use for the worker placement part. Um, and then you can get up to two more through this uh, bidding cycle um, added to your supply. And then there's missions. There's four types of uh, there's four types of difficulty for missions. There's like green, yellow, red, and black, um, increasing in difficulty to um, complete as you go up the colors. Um, everyone starts with a f- their choice of four. Everyone starts with four missions, and at the beginning of the game, you everyone starts choosing missions based on whatever colors they want. So you know the greens are the easiest to do. So if you're looking for some quick missions to get out, you'll take some green. Yellow's you know a little bit harder. Blacks is supposed to be the hardest, um, and depending on the number of players you're playing with, or if you're playing samurai difficulty or not, there's one black mission that um, it's called kill the um, kill the shogun. If someone gets that black mission and completes it, it'll end the game right away um, at the end of that round without going all t- through all eleven rounds. So it's obviously going to be a really hard one to complete. So near impossible, near impossible. It's, it's like you need everything to complete this thing. Um, your player board, I, I didn't really describe it. Everyone has their own little clan board. The clan board is set up with active missions you have, which go off to the uh, left side of the board. Completed missions you've done go off to the right of the board. At the bottom of the board, there's some indicators. There's um, a place where you can have up to two bonus missions, uh, two bonus cards up to four action cards sitting there, and up to four weapons. Is it four action cards? I thought it was three. Might be three action cards. Three action cards, four weapons. Yeah, it's four weapons, definitely. And so those are your limits for any of those things. Now, if you get more of something, then you'll have to discard. Um, but you'll, you know, those are your limits. Four weapons, three action cards, and two bonus cards. And missions, I think it's... Was it four missions to ha- you can hold on to? No, you could hold on to as many as you wanted. No, I think. there was a limit on missions. Yeah, I think there's a handle. Was there? It might be on here. Let me just take a quick peek. I remember it saying on the board that there was. Because mm, uh, it said at the bottom. No, because there's a, a spot you go to specifically to get rid of a mission. Yeah, that's right. Because there is a max four, it looks like. Yeah, oh, I thought it was four. Oh, okay. yeah, it says max four on the bottom. So if you can't complete it, you need to go to that space to get rid of a mission. Yeah, you need to get. Yeah, you need to go somewhere yeah, at least to, so you can to get rid rotate of mission. them out of your hand. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was, there are limits for for that. There's no limits to how many you can have completed. It's just you can only have so many active at a time. And as opposed to Lords of Waterdeep, these are not face up, so no one knows exactly what you're going for. Um, also on your board, other than around the side of the board, there's also on the board itself four different rooms you can complete. Um, each one will give you some different um, ongoing benefits uh, or and there are also places where you can place one of your um, pawns 
during your turn to um, to trigger a different kind of benefit. Um, there's a spot for up to three geishas, and there's one spot for a blessing. I think at the beginning of the game, everyone... No, not everyone started with a blessing. No. Um, but one thing um, during setup, there are favor cards. So after... Um, once you determine player order, um, there's these favor cards you can get. Everybody, I think, starting with reverse player order, going going opposite way around, they'll choose the favor card they want. And the favor cards just give you a bit of a um, boost at the beginning of the game. So one will give you um, an action card right away and three coins. There's one that'll give you a bonus card right away and three coins. Uh, give you the top weapon off the weapon deck and three coins. There's one that'll give you straight seven coins. And the last one will give you a, a blessing right away. So you don't start with a blessing, but there's a way to get a blessing um, at the beginning of the game through these favor cards. And then once you get your um, bonus from the favor card, you flip it over and then it becomes a blackmail card, which will um, come in as we uh, describe the rest of the, the phases of the game. Uh, so after the bidding phase, so after everyone's gone through the bidding phase and you know bid on whatever tile, once somebody's taken over a place, no one else can go there. Um, once you do all the bidding, then you go to the event phase. So there's an event deck, and you um, just flip the top card, read it, and perform it. Um, quite often, there's quite a few events that will close down sections of the board that so you can't place your, your markers there. Um, but there's also some that can um, make it harder to complete certain types of missions, I think. There's some that gave like extra prestige, which are the victory points for yeah. completing missions in that cycle, stuff like that. Yeah, and then there's even there was even one that had no effect. Like it was like this round, there's Nothing no thing happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after the event phase, you um, go on to the assigning phase, and there was something about these orders where a couple of different things could happen. Um, let's see here. And it might have been on our boards that showed us the different, all the different things you could do during each phase. But I'm just going to double check the rule book here quickly and see if it tells me what is what. Um, In the placement phase, there's just the one. It was already falling apart. It was on the main game board. This is what you're thinking of, I think. It might be, yeah. Where it says, like, this phase you do A, B, C, D. Oh, here it is. Um, during the event phase, before you reveal the event card, there's adjust the market. Yeah. So on the board, um, I haven't really described how the board's laid out. The board is laid out in, other than the areas where you're bidding, there's different districts all around this central part. So you got, um, in the very middle of the board is what's called the guard spot. Um, and there's two different uh, colored arrows, a blue arrow and a red arrow, and they go in opposite directions of each other. At the very beginning of the game, you take a little coin. One side's blue, one side's red. Flip it. Uh, whichever one comes face up is the guard that's currently active. So it's either the red or blue guard. You put that guard um, on a starting spot, and I think it tells you to stick him on... Um, the gate uh, district. The gate district. That's right. You, you put him on the gate district. And then during the um, event phase, uh, this has nothing to do with the guard. But that's one part, part. That's one of the setup things. During the event phase, you're refilling the uh, market district. So the market district has a spot for um, five different weapon tiles, and so you'll fill that up. Um, and if it's like beyond round one, um, what you'll do is you'll get rid of all but the the leftmost 
uh, two weapons, and they'll slide down to the end of the um, of the uh, spots, and then you'll refill from the um, the weapon deck the other three spots. Um, so that happens during the event phase, and then you do the event card. And so after the event phase, then is the um, the assigning phase. Uh, the assigning phase is where you're going to start placing your uh, your meeples on the board. Um, each district, and there's a total of seven districts. There's the gate district. Um, there's the restaurant district. Um, and these might not be exactly what they are, but it's something like that. Oh, the tavern district. There you go. Uh, there's the harbor district. Um, and the harbor district's uh, mostly for... There's a temple you can go there where you can convert to Christianity and get some coins. Or you're mostly going to be using it to... Um, there's a couple different things you can do there, actually. There's one where you can foreshadow the event deck. Not the event deck, the bonus deck. Uh, what foreshadowing means is you look at the top three cards of that deck and reorder them however you want, but you don't get anything. You just get to reorder it. And there's a spot where you can convert um, money into points at the harbor. Uh, in the, um, the tavern district, there's a spot where... there's All these places have like three spots you can go to. Um, depending on the number of players, you might cover some of these spots up so that there's not as many. Um, the tavern district, the actions you can take there are foreshadowing the weapons, um, or you can for um, you can build one of the uh, rooms that you could also get during the bidding phase. So you can build one of those for eleven coins. Um, there was also the red light district. Uh, there's only a couple spots in the red light district. One allows you to pay four coins to get an action card. And the other is you get to pay either a um, some coin or points to get a geisha. And just to be clear, because the way you're saying it, I'm not sure it is. If you play in the district, you can take either action. It doesn't matter which That's spot right. you play in. Yeah. So the, the the actions have action spaces, and how this works, you don't as soon as you place, you don't take the action. So what you're doing at the and during the assigning phase is just assigning your pawns out there, and they're not doing anything yet. So, because you might change your mind as you go, but once they're in a district, you're taking one. You're going to be taking one of the actions available in the district. Just there's no specific spot for the action. And I mean, there's, except for the castle. District. Yeah, the, except and for the castle. That's right. There's some that it's like the harbor, for instance. If you take the gold for Christianity, no yeah. one else is going to get the no gold. No one else can do it after. But any of those spaces round. can take the gold in that specific district. It's That's just right. who Yeah, they're, they're more generic first. spaces. You're just putting your per, your yeah. pawn in that district so that you can, in the in the um, resolution phase... Um, you can pick an action in that district. Pick an action in that district. That's right. And yeah, like Drew said, the only spot that's different is the castle yeah. district has yeah. specific spots. Uh, the temple or... With, yeah, it is the castle district. Castle. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after the red light district, there's the market district, and that's um, where you're going to be able to buy weapons. Um, and then they have varying, um, they're worth varying amounts of gold, uh, money, or uh, what are they called? Mon. Mon. No, yeah. They're called Mon. That's right. Um, six being the cheapest, eight being, I think, the most expensive, approximately. Yeah, there's two that are six, and then the other then, three or eight. Yeah. Um, you can also um, give up a bonus card or an action card to get some coins in the market district. And I think that's all the actions in that district that you can do. Uh, then there's the... You didn't say a foreshadowing. Was there no foreshadowing in the market? I don't see a foreshadowing in the market. 
It's possible there isn't. There's yeah. seven districts and there's seven districts. Um, because there's foreshadowing in four the, things, five things you could foreshadow potentially. Yeah. There's foreshadowing in the harbor for um, for uh, bonus cards. There's foreshadowing in the tavern district for weapons, and there's foreshadowing in the gate district for action cards. And then there's it, foreshadowing it really in the do... temple for missions, I believe. Um, yes, you're right. It, yeah. it wouldn't really do much for no for the weapons anyway. And and there were some yeah. uh, some other cards that allowed you to yeah you know get them cheaper or yeah. you know pick up three, just... choose one, get rid of the other two. Yeah, true. So yeah, yeah foreshadowing there just wouldn't wouldn't yeah. be overly useful. Yeah. That's right. Um, after the um, the market district, there's the temple district. Uh, the main thing you're one of the main things you can do there is get blessings, but then there's also the ability to foreshadow missions or or the events. So you can look at the top three and change the uh, the events if you want for what's coming up. Um, same with missions. If there's a particular deck you want to look at for difficulty, you can look at the top three of those and, and arrange them how you want. Uh, then there's the castle district. It has three main spaces, but then there's also a, an extra three spaces that are used for changing up the uh, the player order. Um, I can't remember what that's called at the moment, but I'll, I'll take a look at that in a second. Um, but the things you can do in the castle district, there's um, a spot. And these ones are kind of spot specific. There's one spot that lets you take a point. Um, there's two spots that lets you take a mission. And then there's the area where you can change player order where it has three different spots. Um, yeah. And then there's the uh, the Gates District. And the Gates District is the one where yeah, you can do a foreshadowing on the action cards. You can spend seven uh, Mon or Mon, seven Mon to get one of your um, one of your meeples out of the, uh, the area where you can normally bid for them. And then there's a, a spot where you can trade um, points. You can give up some points to get gold. Um, to get some mon, to get some money. So that's the, the seven different districts. Um, so during the assigning phase, you're taking your um, available uh, pawns and, and in turn order, um, placing them in, a, in one of the districts. And as I said, at the very beginning of the game, the, the one of the watch people, blue or red, is sitting on the gates district, but he's going to move based on his color. He's either going to go clockwise or counterclockwise. Because um, after you do the assigning phase, you then go to the watch patrols phase. And the very first thing is the watch patrol is going to move to the next next district. And then you have a few different things you can do where you can play action cards to either influence his movement, make him go farther or not move at all. Um, or you can play action cards to avoid being arrested. Because after he moves... Um, and once his movement is determined, like where he's staying, any pawns that are in that area will get arrested, uh, unless you can stop, save yourself. Um, there's action cards you can get, which will save you. Um, everyone starts with a bribery card. If you don't use that bribery card by the end of the game, it uh, it's worth two points. But if you have to, you can give it up, and it'll get you stop you from being arrested for one turn. Um, but then once everyone's played all their cards to avoid being arrested, any that have not been played will get arrested. And an arrested pawn just goes back to the pool of available pawns that you can hire. Unless you're, um, you've only got your two pawns. Because you always will have at least your two pawns to use in the game. So you can't lose those, those two. 
Um, after the arrest, you go on from the watch patrol phase to the trade phase. So people who are in the market district or the tavern district can trade amongst each other. So you have to have your pawns in those districts. In the market district, um, the only thing you can trade are weapons and money between each other. Um, but then in the tavern district, you can trade weapons, geisha, money, uncompleted mission cards. So you could trade missions with, with people, but you can't say what, you know, you're just saying, I got this red mission I can't do. And that's it. Like, so the person decide, well, maybe I'll take your red mission, but they won't get to see it until they trade it with you. Um, you can trade action cards and bonus cards. So you can trade almost everything in the, the tavern district. Uh, except for blessing counters, um, disciples. So your, your people are called disciples. So you can't trade those and your completed missions. So you can't get rid of those either. So that's the trade phase. So once everyone's done trading, then you go to the action phase. And that's where you go and play our order, take back one of your uh, disciples and do the action for the space that he's in, um, in the district he's in. So, you know, that's where you'll buy things, do foreshadowing or whatever based on the area you're in. After everyone's done all their actions, um, you can also complete missions during that phase. So if you have all the requirements for a mission, you can say, I'm completing this mission. Missions typically will have something like, you need to have one of your disciples in a particular district. Um, and it also takes a disciple to complete a mission. So at the start of the game, you have two disciples that you're putting out on the board. So you can either, when you have a disciple on the board in a, a particular district, you can either use that disciple to do an action in that district, or you can use them to try to complete a mission. So if you have a mission, say I have a disciple in the market district and I have a mission that says, if you have a disciple in the market district, you can complete it. Then I could take that disciple from the market district and say, I'm using him to complete this mission. And it doesn't have to be him to complete the mission, but it, it typically that's how it's going to be. Sometimes cards will say you have to have a guy on two different districts you don't have to activate both to complete the mission. You just have to activate one or the other. But as long as you meet the requirements, then you can complete that mission. Missions will also usually require a specific weapon. Um, they might require a one a room, not always, but they might. And they might require that you have um, a geisha or a blessing. Sometimes you'll have to give something up. Like usually with a blessing, if it's required, it'll ask you to give it up. Uh, or sometimes you have to pay money to, to complete a mission. Um, each mission will typically have a, will always have a bonus that you can get as well, as long as you meet the requirements for the bonus. Um, and then you'll usually missions when you complete them, you'll get paid out for something. You'll usually get some money and maybe a few um, points as well. So it's usually getting a few points and you'll get some cash. And then there's a bonus, which could, uh, again, give you some more money. It might give you a card or, or might give you some, something as long as you can meet the requirements for the bonus. Um, so yeah, you're, you're doing your actions, you're completing missions. And then after you've done all that, after you've done the action phase, you move on to, um, that's the last phase. That it? is the last phase. The action phase is the last phase. And then you're going back, um, you're advancing the round marker, you're doing the prep for the next phase and you, you go and for repeat 11 repeat more times, 11 more or times, 10 more times, sorry, no, 10 more times after the first round. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, that's essentially the game. You're going around 11 times. Um, bonus cards will usually give you points at the end of the um, at the end of the game. 
There's some that might activate earlier than the end of the game, but I think for the most part, it's at the end of the game, if you meet the requirements for this bonus card, you'll get some additional points. Similar to like a your Lord card was in, in Lords of Waterdeep, but there's you can have up to two bonus cards. And you're not stuck with them. You and you're not stuck them with out. them. You can get them out. You can trade them or you can discard them You know, if you get other ones. So you you can have up to a couple. Um, but yeah, that's Yedo. So this is, yeah. It has a lot of similarities with Lords of Waterdeep, but it has a lot of differences too. And wait, Drew's looking at me right now. <laughs> They're not differences. Well, I'm just waiting for you to, to finish this part, where, and then I can just start ripping, ripping into, into this it. Game. Ripping into it. Well, you can, we can rip into this game at this point too, because this is the point where we're talking about what we feel about this game. There is no part of this game that isn't fiddly. Oh, right from the setup, I was getting frustrated with it, and it's weird to get frustrated with the setup portion of a True. game. There yeah. is. There is not enough memory on your digital recorder for me to <laughs> <laughs> because, okay, let, let's just take something totally benign yep. and, and, and ridiculous. There is, a, there is a token included that you flip at the beginning to determine which, which watch goes, which, which one starts. Yeah, which Why? is the starting watch guy. Why? Uh, nope. yeah. Who cares? Well, even the whole mechanic of the watch, I'd question its value. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, I'm getting, I was getting that. <laughs> like, there is... Because nothing has happened, there is zero purpose to to yeah to the randomness. Yeah, why? Yeah, and 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 you're right. Like, so I, I think it was in very short order. We had all used our bribery cards, except for me. I uh, never did used you keep one. Yours? Yeah, I kept okay. mine till the end. So the rest of us, you guys, you you. I had action and... cards at the beginning. Like I used an action card right away to but get rid of the watch. Tara and Drew, you guys used yours by like turn two. Well, and that's kind of one of the things of the game. No one. Right? Not did, really. Did anyone oh, no. get arrested? Did anyone get arrested? Did anyone get arrested? I think one guy might have got arrested. Wasn't mine. Was it Terrace? And in fact, I was... No. I thought it was mine. What, I thought I might have Tara, lost it out of their watch. Tara misplayed. You know, one of my other oh, peeps yeah. with this game oh, is, yeah. is yeah. like all the misplaying that can happen. Yeah. She misplayed and she was about to herself and I was so annoyed at the game that I saved her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I influenced the watch so that she wouldn't, so that her her accident, because of how fiddly the game was, wouldn't have hurt her. Yeah, I, I was just so annoyed at the game at that mm. point. Yeah, and it's it's really odd. Um, like in Lords of Waterdeep, you're collecting your adventurers and you're giving up your adventurers as you complete a quest. In this one, you have to have certain things in place on your board to complete a quest. And then once that quest is completed, you get another quest, and it may need something totally different. So then you have to like get different cards and tra- trade out the cards you have in order to complete that quest. Yeah, and like the next quest is going to need something totally different. The, again. the whole four yeah. weapon thing. It's like I only yeah. have room in my house for four weapons if I buy a. That was that was your complaint. It's actually one of the lesser ones. No, no, it is a lesser complaint. Yeah. Um, so you're saying getting about weapons? So yeah, the it's I understand the need for a mechanic that is like a resource that makes it harder to complete we- the quest. Sure. But the fact that they used a weapon that you can collect just bugged me. It, it's another one of those things. It's minor, mm-hmm. but when you combine it with everything else, it start, it's just another irritating aspect. Yeah. Um, I, I was not a fan, and, and this is actually a mechanic that works in probably many other games. Right. Is the uh place a meeple 
and you get the resource when you when you pull it back. When you pull them, when he loads he, it afterwards, up. right? Horribly problematic in this game. Yes, right. Uh, there, there was, you know, like I, uh, very early in the game because of the uh, my place in the turn order being last. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 place out all our all our workers to secure an action, but by the time that it comes time for me to to pull my meeple back, the the action's yeah, gone. Action's like the, gone. So there, at least two rounds two full rounds for me at the beginning of the game were me placing meeples and then not being able to take an action well and this goes yeah. to the Horrible. like the turn order in this game means so much yep. like yeah. if you were like i was third and drew was fourth and by the time it got to drew i was already thinking i have nothing to do mm-hmm. because all of this has already been taken yeah and you have two guys to play with and you're not thinking well i should take first right away yeah but it hits you in that you could have wasted a placement because there's no action to take in your area. It hits you in the bidding phase where you're the most screwed for where well, you're going to bid. Well, so let, let's talk about that too. Why is there a bidding round? Yes. Yeah. Why is there bidding in this game? And why are two of the bidding phases, like two of the bidding spots, which already give you something super valuable for really cheap, give you yeah. two victory points, but none of the rest give you anything but just the items? Yeah, there's a few places where you could, if you win that bidding spot, you'll get a couple of victory points. And then one is the geishas. And the, the what do they call it? The house add-ons. Oh, yeah. The, the rooms, whatever. The like the dojos or whatever yeah. you're adding into your, your player board. Yeah, there's a garden, dojo. Yeah, there's four different yeah, rooms that you add to were, your, but... Your, your But if you board. if you get those in the game where you place a guy to pay for it, you're going to pay for the room. It's 11 mon yep. to get a to room. To buy a room uh, in the game without using bidding is 11. That's a- right. And you don't yeah. get anything else. You just get the room. That's if right. you do it in the bid phase, it can cost you as little as five. Yeah, five is opening bid. Two victory yeah. points. Yeah. So now, like, like in the bidding phase, there is potential for. Um, so let's say I, I you know, I, I, I know because Randall's the one that declared it. He is going to bid on sure. Let's let's say the the geisha, and you know, I'd I'd really like that too. But but I'm going to I'm going to engage in the bidding because I want to. Uh, I want to strain Randall's Resource. money, yeah, right? right? I want him to pay more for that. If I get it, if I happen to open him, fantastic. I get that resource. But, I'm, you know, the best scenario would be for me to to pressure you to, to spend, spend as money, much as right? possible. Yeah, yeah not, that actually happened a couple times. But how much money was actually affected there? Yeah. Most of the bidding was somebody, like, like literally one coin upping somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So Randall bids the, the minimum of five mon, and I go six, and Randall goes, Okay, seven. seven. So he's he done two. At no point did anybody go like so over the top. No, ten. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did at the end. Near the end, well, we started uh, doing by, that. I mean, <laughs> it's already too late by then. Yeah. Why not just say, okay, we've got this turn order. Whoever whoever places, you know, first gets their thing. It's yep. like there there really isn't a starvation of option there, right? Until you know, like the the geisha runs out, right? Right. And which was a huge annoyance for me later. Um, but you know, there, there was always the, you know, the opportunity to, you know, to get, go through the weapons or to get the cards or, you know, like, so why not just do that? Why, mm-hmm. why make it convoluted with bidding for it when, when ultimately the bidding didn't really impact the well, game? Ultimately too, the bidding was just, uh, if the person really wanted it, they were going to win it because they had last choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's how as much were you money willing yeah. to force it and 
be happy if it ended up with you with the money yeah. it was a hard yeah. especially in the beginning yeah. it's hard to know and everything that's available for bidding there's alternate ways to get it through the action selection yeah or through the worker placement sort of mechanism so there's ways to get everything that's available through bidding so I don't know. Maybe maybe you could just get rid of bidding altogether and just do it as a standard worker placement. I guess they're just trying to make it a bit more. It, it felt. Out. I don't know. It, it felt well, but that that was the problem. Is it is it felt to me like this was just a mechanic that was tacked on? Yeah. To, it's like yeah. you know what to people try like try to bidding. increase the complexity rating at BGG. Yeah, maybe that's true. Yeah. I mean, they could have even just simply done a reverse turn order, pick a special thing this turn, so that there's some benefit to going forth instead of bidding mechanic yeah get like, rid of bidding and then whoever in reverse order yeah sure it's get, like first, get one of the bonuses yeah, yeah get a bonus maybe not build a building for like more than half the price and get victory points but mm-hmm. you can pick an extra mission rather than use a worker this turn or right. you can pick a weapon just something simple it didn't need the extra bidding tacked on mm-hmm. no no yeah I, I think bidding was probably one of the weakest parts of this game i i, I still think i i you know I'd, I'd have to play it through and and see but I, I kind of feel like the game would be improved if you you know you got the thing you know like your your action right when you placed your worker mm. well that would make it hard though because of the way the missions work where you have to have multiple workers play so if someone's playing to yeah. complete a mission well you let's say you know you leave your your main you, bullet you in leave the them district, instead of pulling them off you know, and maybe he's like in lords where you're pulling it off at the end of the you you, you place it you get the benefit and you and pull, you off, pull at the off the end, of the end. yeah but, but then um, you're getting into core mechanics it just means don't play the game doesn't it well yeah let's just jump right to the end where i tell you yeah don't play this game okay. but well, um, we, can, we can yeah we've talked about the game we can go to final thoughts now it's obviously going to be that i think the majority of us are going to like Lords of Waterdeep better. Majority? Okay. All of us. All of us. <laughs> I, I did enjoy this game, but yes, oh. it, it it is brutal in comparison. Like It has so many weird little mechanics that, yes, it's not a game that I'm going to get up to the table a lot. Well, I wanted to see I wanted to see the watch actually do something. Mm-hmm. I just wanted the watch out of the game. Yeah. I, well, I mean... But, but it, I, I think it was larger because nothing... It, it, it didn't of do no anything, import. plus it prevented... Because of the way it was rotating for us when we played, it prevented turn order change unless you were willing to sacrifice two points because it was going to go to the castle. So we were stuck playing fourth and third for the first couple turns. I think what might have added something to the watch is I I don't really know that there needs to be two of them. I mean – whatever. I mean if if there's some mechanic to to reverse the the direction – because oh, um, in, in the events, there's like one that says um, like changes it from the red guard to the blue guard or yeah, whatever. And, yeah, and I played that. Yeah, but po- possibly what's what's needed there is is some randomness in in the number of spaces that yes. they move, right? And yeah. and for that to happen after the meeples are uh, have been placed, and you're you've gotten your action, right? Yeah, like and so so right. yeah. You know what? I'm gonna play some stuff out. Uh, you know, I might get nailed by the watch, and then and then. But at least I'll, I'm sacrificing it to do. To do an something. action, yeah, not to get an action, not lose, not it lose it before it. you even get it. True, yeah, yeah. And there, and there were like there, that's the whole thing is that yeah, there's action cards that can adjust how far he moves. Right? But I gotta complain about one more thing, and it <laughs> and it was the it was the the rooms 
I don't yeah. know, whatever they're called in there. Yeah, well, I don't know. Um, yeah, well, okay, nine is, if I just look at the, the map here, it's the... Annex? Annexes. They call them okay. annexes. There's four different annexes. So I, I don't get the one annex that was super popular with everybody else. The dojo? Sure. Um, but I do get I do get another one which allows me to use it as a geisha. So it counts. Geisha. It can count yeah. as a geisha or a bless. There's one that counts as a blessing. There's one that counts as a geisha. Um, and I think it was the blessing one because well, if was, you already had a blessing on your board, yeah, you couldn't use the effect of the um, the of guy the, on the of, thing of yeah. the annex. Yeah, which is horribly stupid because yeah. like the, you. It says I mean, right you, there you can be used have, as a blessing. You yeah. only have well, I mean, yeah. Other than that, yeah. You know, there was a lot. There was so much of this. You can do it this way, except yeah. But and yeah, but I had to really case, go to the book a lot of times to, to verify stuff. Like a very limited number of um, meeples that you can place. That's right, right? Yeah. And so I, I've committed one to this space, and that's a huge deal. Yeah. And and then you find out, oh, you can't do that. You cannot use that because you've already got one. You know, one of these tokens over here. So. Too bad, you know. They're out out of the the three meeples you have, you don't get to use that one. Yeah, and ridiculous. Yeah, and it's kind of because they have like you know little text on the on the player boards that say this is what this space does. Let's say you read mm-hmm. that, you say, okay, this is I what that space does. Yeah. But then you go to the um, to the the book and it expands on that, and there's no hint that you need expansion expanding on when you're looking at your player board. But when you look at this, it's like okay. You can do this as long as, and well, and and it's unnecessary. Yeah. Why? Why does it only count as that if there isn't one somewhere else? Well, and it impacted Drew and I in the same turn. Yeah. Like we both learned that these buildings don't work how it says clearly on your board how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of and there's no and that's the worst part about that. There is no logic to that. (laughs) To yeah yeah. Oh, it it doesn't give you this thing unless you don't have one. Yeah, unless you don't have one. Like ugh. But it, I mean, I was surprised with this game. Yeah. I, I did, I went and looked at what people were saying because these two games are compared yeah, often. Yeah, quite often. And yeah. a lot of what I was seeing was Yeddo's the better game. If you have the expansion for Waterdeep, it comes close, but mm-hmm. Yeddo's the better game. Yeah. And I played this and I have never come across a game like this where three out of the four people walked away frustrated and one of those people said they would never play the game again yeah and i mean (laughs) i was in first place by the end of the game and i still hated it i was not enjoying where i was i was not enjoying the mechanics it was just i came in second yeah i was i I walked away from the game not feeling good having exactly (laughs) it's like we came first and second and both of us were like oh god i hate this game and i think you came last didn't you randall and you were like i would play this again i'm usually dead last in these things and the reason I didn't come in last. Well, maybe I came in last. I was one of the close. But I think the reason why it didn't affect me as badly is because I think for most of the game, I was in the first or second player spot. Yes. And so I didn't experience the third and fourth player frustrations you guys were experiencing well, very but I, often. Like once or twice, maybe. But at that probably, point, it was later in the game, and it didn't make as much difference to me. True. But, but probably, I don't know, round three or four, I took over that first player spot because yeah. I, I knew it was important. And but then, then held on. It. Well, um, you got it for well, like no, a, but I, two turns. I, I think or something. I held on for two, but then, yeah. but then I think Jeff took it, but I'm only knocked down to second. Yeah, but then I, then Tara took it, and then I took yeah, it. Yeah, eventually, again, so it's like, I worked my way back. You know, but I think down starting the, the game at the higher up makes a oh, huge difference. The, the beginning, like the favors that you start at the beginning, weren't enough to compensate to compensate for that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Where in Waterdeep, it, I mean, you get an extra gold for every turn you are out, which can be huge. Yeah. Mon- money is a bigger deal yeah. in Waterdeep. Yeah. And, and you don't feel like when it comes to your turn, all your options are already gone. So yeah. you're, you're just like, okay, I can't get a wizard this turn to complete this quest, but. It doesn't I'll feel build, so bad. Yeah. I'll build for another turn. Yeah, yeah. it's not like, if you can't get what you really want that turn. Yeah, you'll take something else, knowing that you'll use it in a future turn. Mm-hmm. And I also found with Yeto over Waterdeep. In Waterdeep, you can have someone who starts off really quick, gets a bunch of quests, but then and slow right slows down. down. Yeah, because resource management becomes an issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Yeto, I started completing quests about turn four, and it just snowballed. Yeah, it was yeah. Mm-hmm. once I was set up. Once I got money as a reward and could outbid anybody for stuff, That's and yeah. I could start buying. Like I could waste eleven mon to get another building instead of just always using the bidding. And I could the rest go of and us, buy victory money was point. more of an issue. Yeah, yeah, and then I could just complete quest after quest after that. And I just I went from last place because everyone else was getting points. Yeah. To all of a sudden, I just skyrocketed to first. And every mission I picked up, it's like, okay, I have this stuff to complete this. So once mm-hmm. you have the non-usable, like the Geisha, the Annex is built, it just, like every mission, it's about, it all comes down to is, do you have the right weapon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So it, it just was so much simpler or water deep. Your resource management is throughout the entire game. Yeah. It, it is always an issue. You complete a quest, you're getting rid of everything you use yeah, to complete the quest and then you get something simple back but mostly victory points and the more you get back the less victory points you're getting and then you have to start fresh for the next quest so there's always a cycling through of stuff in that yeah where this one here if i used the geisha it stayed on my board so drew never had an opportunity to rebuy what i used yeah. and there there's no only once, so many there once they were mm-hmm. gone they were gone and yep, if you true. can't complete those black quests mm-hmm. well not only that there, there is a possibility because of the the limitation of resources, is that the geishas are gone, and so is so is the annex that yep. counts as it as it. You're done, and you're just you're done. not yeah, ever going not, to see a geisha. That's right. Yeah. Forget forget any quest that you see, and you can't like that. hoard blessings or anything, but you can hoard geisha. You can. Take yeah, well, it's not, it's not that you're hoarding. Really, it's, it's, well, it's you can non, build up to three. It's a non-consumable resource. Like yeah, you, you exactly. get it. Once and you have the geishas, you, you have don't them. burn through them. Yeah, it just sits on your board. Yeah. So, and uh, I don't know, it's that, that alone, that mechanic where we're going to limit these things, but they're so important. And if someone uses it, they just get to keep it where mm-hmm. water deep, it's not that way. It's yeah. just a resource collection and spend. Yeah, and at least, yep. you know, when you brought up the, the weapons earlier, you're, you were only allowed to have four. And so if you're, if you're rotating through your, your quests, okay, I got the correct four weapons I need for this one. Oh, this next one, I need a different weapon. There was there was ways for you to you get rid of that one you discard it goes back into the rotation kind of thing you can trade with other people it goes into the discard there pile is true nothing really like well no one's I mean, going to be trading a I geisha. could trade a geisha but who's going to seriously do it yeah, right yeah, but for what right exactly what yeah what's the incentive for? that you can there trade is, a geisha yeah it's going to keep you from victory the trading mechanic well we didn't even get into that the trading mechanic was a waste of time yeah. except well, for maybe weapons well that that's actually the no, only place where i think we used it. Was, was weapons, weapons. you yeah. and i traded a weapon yeah. once yeah that's true um i tried to trade quests yeah i, I tried to well it was a waste of time yeah. right and you had to be in the same one of two districts and you know weapons could be in either district but the market district is only weapons or mon whereas the trade the tavern district it's weapons and a whole bunch of other stuff but 
you have to have a reason to go there. Like, yeah, you're not going there with the intent, there intent to, to trade. trade. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, I mean, you could, so maybe I don't have to spend the money. And all of a sudden, your guy's pointless there. Yeah. Because and, I traded instead. Or sometimes you're there by yourself, and then it's a trading phase. Like, well, there's no one for me to trade with. I have other things I want to do here, but well, yeah, you, I'm not you, trading. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember a couple of conversations where, you know, a couple people are in the, the mark, not the marketplace, um, the, the tavern. Yeah, yeah. And it's, okay, well, what, you know, what do you need? Oh, well, one, I don't have that. Well, or maybe I do have that, but I'm not willing to trade it because you don't have anything I need. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. well, that just ends all that trading. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so you either, no, neither person has what the other person needs or one person has it and the other person doesn't have the thing that they need. So there's no trading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, you're right. The the weapons were the only thing that you know there was some incentive to trade, and you could trade effectively. And, and again, rarely. It, yeah. it was rare to someone well, have. I think I think it was just the one trade that that Randall yeah, and I made. I think so. Too. Maybe it might have been the second one, but yeah, there might have for been sure two. there was at least yeah. one. I know I was never in it on it. So so a bunch of mechanics that just uh, that de- weren't getting used, or yeah. people couldn't use, or. Yeah, and yeah, it's not like it doesn't feel like you're screwing around the other person or anything. Like you're not interacting with them. It's mm-hmm. more just the game is screwing with you. Yeah, and it's yeah. like <laughs> leave it to the players I'm with to screw me. Don't let the game mechanics screw me. Yeah, but it, so let's get to uh, uh, you know something that you brought up with regard to Waterdeep, mm-hmm. and and that's the the overlay of the theme, right, dude. You know, do I do I feel like like any of this stuff Makes really you feel kind like of drew a, a me plan. in? You know, yeah. there's again, there's some there's some uh, definite flavor text on the cards. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, I although I kind of thought that the the shoehorning of the um, Tokugawa shogunate's you know distaste for Christians was <laughs> like, <laughs> like really like does that. Whatever it was an yeah. excuse. It was an excuse to have a temple that you could get Put three, three gold. Wands from. Yeah. That's you know? right. Yeah, but but all of these these kind of mechanics for mechanics' sake didn't really make me feel like I was, you know, that I was interacting with people in in the shogunate. Yeah, it's so kind of it. It, it had no the version. art. Yeah, like I, I felt that the, there was so much mechanics that there there couldn't have been immersion. I had no flavor out of it. Yeah. No. Yeah, there you go. So, and one thing I don't think we mentioned also, not that it matters too much at this point, but in uh, in uh, Yedo, the missions, there were types of missions. So there was like five different types of missions. There's kidnapping, there's um, black, oh, what was it? Uh, kidnapping, uh, theft, espionage, assassination, and warfare. And some of your bonus cards could trigger off of those. But again, because this, you don't, I didn't even pay attention to those no, until I, I picked either. up a bonus card later in the game that said, if you have the most theft missions, yeah, yeah. you get four points. Yeah, and, and I, I looked at my missions and I had no theft missions. Yeah. So yeah. I quickly went and sold it. Yeah. And then I noticed, oh, what am I actually doing? Oh, there's warfare written on the side of this. Okay. Yeah, there's actually thing, <laughs> types of missions. And, like... and it turned out that I was doing more warfare, so I didn't have to trade out like they tended to use the same sort of weapons so i didn't trade out weapons as much and stuff but i mean it was secondary i lucked into one where it was essentially uh the opposite that was as long as you have not done this type of mission you'll get points and and i I was oh okay well let me take a look at these quests oh well that worked out magically because 
coincidentally, I hadn't. Where water deep but... right from the beginning, they're telling you, you want to do arcane. You yeah. want yep. to do warfare. Yeah, you want You're these looking particular for ones. You're not yep. like, getting a random bonus card all of a sudden. You're, oh, I need these type of missions or yeah. or yeah. none of these missions. Like As long as you have none of these missions. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, okay, so there we go. Um, obviously, winner, water deep, hands down. Hands down. <laughs> so we'll we'll move on from there to our next segment where we're going to be discussing Xanathar's Guide to Everything. So this is like the first major, like they've had a few other expansion books um, come out, but nothing like that's really affected character classes this much. Like they've had, well, it, player, they've had races come well, out. They've it's had, the compilation yeah. of their Unearthed Arcana and yeah, a from, lot of their previous yeah. source, well not source books, uh, stuff that they've released in modules. In modules. Yeah. Yep. And they they put it all in one convenient book. I yeah. think the only one I, th- I think we talked about this a little bit um, last time we were together about uh, Sword Coast. The Sword they, Coast Adventures guy has a little bit, one. but even but that it's, one, it's very small. It's mostly like flavor text for most of the stuff. Like there's yeah. a few, there's a, there's some, race, I think a couple of races in there. There's yeah a little bit of this and that, but it's more flavor text about oh, if you're a monk, blah 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 blah. Yeah. But no benefits, like no in game kind yeah, of no stuff. Feats and... No feats or anything. No yeah. um, different subclasses or anything like that. So that was a big thing that came out with with Xanathar's guide is they went through every every um, class and you know added a few more things to it, which was you know, which was good, which was I think needed at this point in the game because it's well, been it, out so many years well, and now. It, it, I mean, there's really no point in doing Unearthed Arcana if you're not going to actually move stuff into production kind and, of thing. And that's just it. Right, it it yeah. makes people feel like they've had an impact now. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's it, been play-tested. All the play-tested. It's been play-tested. Yeah. yeah. And you can see it. Um, like, in our game, my wife is playing a ranger, and we were using the Unearthed Arcana version of the ranger. Um, and so when they came out with Xanathars, you take a look at the ranger, and it's like, okay, well, they didn't fully trans transmit everything that they did mm-hmm. in Earth Arcana, but you can see where they, they did. They, they, the stuff that they were playtesting in Earth Arcana is now, some of it has made it in here mm-hmm. just to, to give more flavor to the Ranger. Well, yeah, the subclasses they added to, I think every class got at least one new subclass. Yeah, every mm-hmm. class got um, more than one usually. More than like one at, usually, yeah. Yeah, at least two and then up and to three they, usually. They've made them even four like yeah. interesting so that you want to take them it's not yeah but they're not so much better than the previous iterations that you're like oh i'm never gonna use the normal ones in the player's handbook right anymore. no it's no. just extra flavor yeah and well yeah and in, it, in some cases i think it's a bit more than the flavor um my my feeling was with uh, especially with the cleric uh domains they were it was a little more lackluster flavor. for most of them. Yeah, the yeah. cleric party got the but, least out of this because they got the forge domain and the grave domain. Yeah, yeah. but the Which, grave domain mm, added some abilities that were did. a little unique. Oh, uh, but yeah, absolutely. They're they're unique. I don't know, but yeah, I, I guess it, it depends on whether you know whether you're running a campaign that you know it has a, a decent amount of combat or is it is it mostly RP driven? Right. You know, then then the two new domains. Sure. I mean, I think they. They can probably add a lot to, um, you know, in heavy a heavy RP yeah. campaign. But, um, but yeah, I think in in that case, if there's you know if there's more combat going on, you're probably using one of the, you know, the original the domains. Yeah. But some of the other some of the other classes, um, you know, got got some decent feats and benefits. Yeah. I guess before we go fully into the stuff. subclasses, one thing they did do for all the different um, classes is at the beginning of each class. 
section, they give you some things to help you flesh out your character. Mm-hmm. So, like, different, there's like three or four different little things. Like, for the barbarian, um, they talk about personal, to- personal totems. Um, they also talk about tattoos or superstitions. Um, and so they give you like six different things under each one. It's like a table. You could roll on it if you want. Um, I, 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 I appreciate this for helping mm-hmm. you s- flesh out your character, but like they want to give you like six options for each one. So it doesn't, uh, it almost doesn't seem like there's enough there, but it, it, I think it's more good. I think it's better as a starting point to say, yeah. okay, I can start thinking about pers- personal totems here, six different ideas but i could go beyond that well it's like the backgrounds from the original book they're not intended no to make you in this way it's supposed to give you an idea if you if you don't flesh out your character well if you don't know how to role play it's a way to give you a character if you do know how to role play it's a starting point you can write Mm -hmm. your own background yep I, i think it it also gives some uniqueness to to the different classes though because you know you're you're not looking at a tattoo section for you know, clerics or wizards or no, yeah, rangers right, right. or whatever, right? Yeah. So there's, you know, it, different it adds a bit, yeah. a bit more um, uniqueness to to the class. But it also, uh, like I said, I mean, these lists aren't aren't designed to be definitive. And no, you know, oh, every, you know, every time you run into a barbarian, he's going to have one d six of these tattoos. But it it, it could give you, um, you know, a starting place to have a discussion with your DM about maybe an idea you have. Yeah. about these things yeah you know what what do you think about this could could this be something that plays well in into the you know our campaign yeah i just think making it a table each one is, is set up as a table which i mm. which kind of annoys me a little bit i don't think it should yeah. have been a table i just said it should have been here's six options or here's six things to wow. think about as a starting point i don't know well, like i said it, welcome it's to D though i know i know it's just a tie-in with the background like it, yeah, it really yeah. is it's yeah. just and those a, are ran- those can be randomized too yeah i never really randomize them i'll go read through the backgrounds i like that background i'm taking that background i, you know. I think they they put in a table for those who are are unbelievably lazy at role-playing yeah. i guess or <laughs> who really have no idea let what the they game make a character for me yeah, yeah. exactly exactly yeah. i want to do it all random yeah true so but yeah so now that I just want to bring that up that mm-hmm. they've sort of helped. They're trying to help flesh out the different classes of characters by giving you some different things to think about that you may not have been thinking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which which I think is good. I do like oh, definitely. that. I do too. Yeah, but they also like some of the things that were put in here that just were kind of a mistake on their part to not have in the player's handbook. So it's good to see mm-hmm. here, like the druid. They gave you the tables for if you are from this area. Here's the type here's of beast. the type of beast yes. you are most like. So you're not thinking, okay, I'm going to turn into this creature at low level. It's like, have you ever have I ever that seen a snake yeah. or something? It's like, well, I came from the desert. I have. Yeah. It, it's just it makes it so much easier for someone who's going to play that character with a background to go, oh, look, this is a mm-hmm. like eighth level creature combat rating like one eighth or something yeah. so i've seen this in my habitat yeah, and born, change born and it. raised in water deep but but i'm turning into bear. a bear yeah, yeah. <laughs> polar bear yeah but that's <laughs> the whole thing like you know it gives you a, a re- not necessarily every yeah. druid has seen a bear so that's nice that not it's every a table good starting has, yeah. point right it is. like yeah. You, yeah. you just it gives you something to think about if you're playing a druid yeah. you look at this and you go oh maybe i should be thinking about the type of place where I'm from, I'm from mm-hmm. yeah. where I mostly lived mm-hmm. and then you can add animals as you go based on where you're adventuring and it's not like oh I haven't made you encounter a desert cat 
It's like, you've been in the desert for three days. You've probably seen a desert cat now that you've been in it. You're not really overly worried about whether or not you've encountered and fought. It's, I've been in this environment for this Mm -hmm. long now. Uh Yeah. So, no, that was... That was nice. I I'd actually really appreciated that, too. That made a big difference for, for clerics. Or not clerics, I'm sorry, druids. Um, uh, just giving those tables and giving you more reason to think about where you're from and what you've encountered. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, like most of the classes got something really good. And, and there's not, I'm not saying there's nothing good for the, uh, for the, uh, the clerics. It's just they got a little bit less, um, but they're I, interesting. I, yeah, I, I think that's actually the probably the perfect word. It was it was interesting. It's not, I, I don't even know that it's necessarily lackluster. It was something that yeah. like for me personally didn't there wasn't as much wow factor as some of the others. Well, they gave a little but, bit of theme almost. It's like a forge priest. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, I can. It it's interesting. It mm-hmm. you could have made it with the previous class things. It just made it a little more specific. Sure. Yeah, but no. yeah, it, it they're probably the least interesting of the ones that were for added. me yeah I, I think there's probably other people that you know probably looked at this and are, are you know very captivated by that mm-hmm. um you know the theme that that you know offers yeah to and, and cleric, i did but... appreciate like when i was reading through the forge domains like oh these are some kind of cool little mm-hmm. things they did for forge and i could i could see if i was playing a, a priest i might consider you know taking one of those you know they are they're not bad it's just yeah lackluster that might be the the yeah. word for it yeah but um, no, definitely. When I was going through these, I was looking at you know each class and saying, "Oh man, if I was one of the, if I played a bard, I might consider this. Or if I was, if I'm playing a warlock, I'd really, I'd, def- I'd definitely consider this. Or the monk, you know, the monk had some good stuff too. They all for had me, good things. For me, it was completely the paladin with redemption. Yeah, I, I fell in love with it as soon as I read it. The concept of I'm not going to swing at you. If you want to hit me, it's gonna hurt. <laughs> but I'm not going to swing at you because I'm a peaceful person. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like your entire focus is just keeping your party safe from the creatures by making you the target. Yep. And it's just like the, the whole concept of it just was hilarious for me. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of it. Yeah. I'm finally going to get to be a samurai. Yeah. They have samurai I was, here yeah, now. I was yeah. really happy to see that. And um, there's a couple of things. Like under Monk, they had a couple of things too. Yeah, they brought in like the drunken, the the, the yeah the drunken master, which yeah. I've always hated, but it's there. Yeah, and that's that's okay. Um, Jackie Chan, it was a very popular movie. It, it was, um, but they also had um, the way of the Kensai, which was a kind of interesting, the, the different way the, of interacting with, with, weapons. with weapons. Yeah, yeah. made them made the monk weapons a little bit more unique, I guess, and you could almost take any weapon and make it a monk weapon by by taking the way of the Kensai, which was neat. Um, whereas before you had to be really careful about um, what weapons you took because yeah to, yeah you had your monk, weapon. monk weapons and yeah. you could be proficient in another weapon but it's not a monk weapon yeah. so mm-hmm. your bonuses didn't apply yeah. whereas this one can make any weapon really a monk weapon yeah and the one one class that I was a little surprised at was the sorcerer yep uh, not that what they did wasn't good i like the options now with the different types but the divine soul which is for older edition people the new Mm. favored soul sorcerer i'm i'm surprised they kept in the extra spells Mm. because one of the limiting factors of sorcerer to keep them in check was to keep a A certain amount of spell lists and they've given them uh a little bit expanded uh, not bit. that it, it's based on your it's, alignment, really, though. Yeah, and it's not yeah. like it is. 
like way out there no. overly powered or anything yeah. i'm not saying that it, it just it, it was a little surprising and i i'm not the type of person that likes playing the healing cleric mm-hmm. types so the favored soul was never my favorite class to begin with right but, I mean that the shadow and the storm sorcery looked really interesting. Yeah, I liked the shadow. I definitely there, did. There's yeah. finally an option other than just the half dragon, essentially, because yeah. I mean, well, the wild magic was so it essentially came down to: is your DM going to allow random shit just to happen in the game? Yeah, because <laughs> yep. it it was mostly pointless that yep. those tables. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the wild magic is always a little odd. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Warlock had a, a couple in, had an interesting one too. Um, yeah, the different patrons for them were nice. The different, yeah, not yeah. There's a celestial patron, which gave, you gave can make some, packs with good things as well. That's right. They don't have to be <laughs> evil. Uh, Hexblade was also kind of interesting. I liked uh, I liked that one. Um, and then they give you a bunch more eldritch invocations as well that you could uh, swap out when you change levels so um, a bit more options there um, wizard they just gave them the one more they just gave you war magic so that's actually another one like cleric and wizard were part of the two that didn't get as much um, but you get war magic if you're a, a new um, arcane tradition of war magic but overall the the subclasses definitely were worth the value of the book right yeah just just in that section as a player mm-hmm. you're gonna like what that brings i think yeah even if you don't like one or two of the things there's enough new options there for whichever class and i mean like rogue they added like five different new subclasses yeah rogue got quite a bit out of this yeah, yeah. it's like it just gives you options which is always good so you don't feel like okay i'm gonna play a sorcerer again because i like sorcerer and i'm now a half dragon this time i'll try i don't know gold mm-hmm instead of red mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever now yeah. you can actually look at sorcerer and go oh it wouldn't it be interesting to play a lightning focused thing that gets bonuses based off of that not just i'm a blue dragon mm-hmm. you know yeah. like yeah. it just it opens things up for more role-playing options mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no and i appreciate it yeah like there was some definitely some interesting uh things added in here um and if you when one of the nice little are the flavor little flavor things they throw out throughout the book like because this is Xanathar's guide oh, so those little comments little comments here and there which it's like a little circle that's supposed to be he's the beholder and it's his little signature but he has like little tidbits he'll throw out you know like under the mastermind for the rogue there's a new archetype mastermind and then Xanathar's like oh please if anyone is a mastermind around here it's me you're like a master doofus or a master dummy no you are <laughs> it's like whatever like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just odd little things like that but they're cute and they're yeah. they're fun to read yeah artwork's fantastic again yeah no i, I love the new art in 5e yep they, amazing they did a really good job with the artwork again and um, and it's been consistently good through, through for all the books all the publications yep. um yeah i haven't looked too closely at, at sword coast was it is it the um, same, same art style or is it? Yeah, no, it's pretty much the okay. same art style. You know, truthfully, I have the Sword Coast and I haven't looked yeah. through it all a lot myself either because... You call yourself a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a little bit more dry than the other books. So it's... It is, and not... It had some good stuff in it, but not not enough, I guess, to really... So I wanted to hear from both of you on yep. something because you guys have both DM now. Uh-huh. I have not. That's true. 
I like I like being <laughs> on the on this side of the table. Mm-hmm. But reading through uh, the the next sections yes. of the uh, the various Xanthar's tips guide, for, for, yep. there is there's some. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's something that's been around forever, but I just didn't know about it. Or, mm-hmm. um, but um, there, you know, there's some discussion in, in Appendix A about shared campaigns and, um, you know, essentially having a system to um, provide treasure points, right? Well, know, that, as, yeah. as a way to potentially. Um, get more get more magical items out there. Like that, I mean, I, that's always that's been sort of my take on Five E is that there's just so little, you know, magical items out there, and this might be a way to help compensate for that. It, it works in the environment it was intended. I think like the jump in, jump out type of environment where right. I might participate in this week's quest, but I'm not available for the next two, yep. and then I'll jump back in. It keeps the ability for you to have a rotating group and not feel like anyone's falling behind right i don't think for a persistent campaign as a dm myself i'd use it like with the same group of people it i i'm of the opinion that 5e is a little stingy on magic items myself so Mm -hmm. i tend to add things character specific like if if i know what my players are bringing then I'll go ahead and be like, look through the adventure and be like, well, no one wants this. So maybe I'll rotate this out for something about of equal power for somebody. So every item you come across is a little more useful. Right. So I don't feel the need to add a different mechanic to find them later, I guess. Do you think it's, this is maybe their way of subtly admitting that they're, they've been stingy? No, I think, I think it was almost uh, included just for their online uh adventures guild i think it's called yeah the the adventures league or adventures like league that. yeah, yeah. That, that's what it is where you you kind of you show up you somewhere show up and, and you play this play. everyone's playing the same adventurer kind of adventure kind of thing and it's like usually a a chapter in an existing thing so yeah. like i think with the current one might be tomb of annihilation and they started you know doing chapters in that i think but you don't like you're not committing yourself to the full book. You're just like this week I'm going to show up to my local game store and play in the Adventures League. Yeah, and that way your character can progress without having to worry about being with them all the time. It's like okay, I'm gonna I've been to three. I have this many points. I can spend it on this minor magic item or something, right? Right. So I see it as useful for that a lot because yeah, that there's that's the whole appendix on shared campaigns. And truthfully, yeah. I didn't even really look at that. I, um, that that part yet um i had looked through everything else um and they talk about um you know there's like a whole in the in the when you get to the dm's tools they they, the expanded downtime expanded downtime the expanded um like uh, designing um encounters around your players and how to play with the encounters based on the 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 cr rating and all that yeah so there's some there's some really good stuff in here and then there was also stuff about magic items in here too um, about you know if a player is looking for a magic item, you know how long should it take them to find it, kind of thing, and that's that's under the expanded downtime rules. Um, stuff that players could be doing in between certain points. Yeah. It's almost, I don't know. It it's hard to have magic item availability as a bot thing in a downtime. Mm-hmm. So, like if. Magic's supposed to be more part of D&D, and 
I believe it is. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I've been playing this since first edition, like you guys have, mm-hmm. and it, it's always been something that your characters aspire for. Yep. It's to gather magic items to make yourself more powerful. And they, they kind of removed an aspect that I think was important in the psyche of your players mm-hmm. by removing it. And I think they're trying to bring it back, but I'd rather see it brought back in a way where the characters are earning it through actual adventuring and not give like well i don't know how much to say about other campaigns and stuff without giving spoilers so just in general let's say that most of the bigger items are so specialized in their it's like a trident how many people's make character i've I've seen one or two people actually make a trident as their main weapon through yep. the game. Mm-hmm. And they're usually like gladiators that fight with like a net and a mm-hmm. trident kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. But in a normal campaign, it never happens. So yeah. if it's the main end item that you're getting from some big boss, it it's a little obscure and doesn't really satisfy the player's need yeah. for improving like, their I character. I got this trident and I don't really center around tridents like guess i can use it but, but it's not, yeah and then you go to town and it's like well i can maybe trade it but the mechanics for the trading of it yeah it's like okay well you're not playing the game we'll just make a roll and we'll see if you found something in three days and yeah like i'd, I'd prefer that the items were actually useful mm-hmm. and and that's like i say well, i i'll go through the adventures that are pre-made because i'm a little lazy now in my older <laughs> age and don't like to make my own adventures as much anymore but i'll take an existing one and just heavily modify it or add stuff to it to add character to the what the players need Mm -hmm. what they're aspiring to so while these rules help i think make magic a little more available i think it's just up to the dm of any given campaign just to start sprinkling more throughout to reward their players for even if it's something as simple as just like a plus one weapon that they can use yeah randall well, you already have one. What are you complaining you started, about? You got yeah, one fairly well, early. Yeah, that that lusters off <laughs> when you get to when you get to level whatever the hell we're at. Plus one's seven or something, six or seven. But I mean, that's fifth edition, right? Yep. There yeah. isn't plus two weapons, plus three yep. weapons. There's not this huge upgrade need yeah. because of the way they have the rules design. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that you need an upgraded sword. It's you need to feel like you're accomplishing something by maybe getting a plus one suit of armor or, yeah. you know, like a magical hat that lets you see in the dark if you're not a race that can mm-hmm. do it or, yeah. you know, just something. It doesn't have to be something large all the time. It just has to be something mm-hmm. that's like my character would really like to fit in with the group of dwarves I'm with and I'm a human. So I feel like all of a sudden my powers increase because I found a dark vision helmet yeah yeah you know like stuff like that and this is my first time dming like this campaign that we, we we've been doing with with me and yeah for the most part i've just been using the adventure as is but now we, we've done enough sessions i'm feeling a bit more comfortable i can go through and say okay well here's an area where they can find something um and based on what it says like well i don't really like what they're giving out so i'm going to adjust it a bit just to make it so that somebody gets something they they can use, which would be beneficial for them. And Um, it's okay to give something more unique if it's later going to be important, but you have to also let the players know that that's its purpose. Like, don't go and give this away. This is going to be a key (laughs) or you can mutate it into something else or something like that. Right. right, Yeah. So there is, there is room for unique. Mm -hmm. It's just, and maybe that's why they don't 
put as much into their storylines as they do is because as a dm it's kind of your responsibility to know what your characters are aspiring to Mm -hmm. and kind of put that in as they go that might have been their intent all along could be yeah hopefully so something something weird yeah i'm changing the subject again um so there's there's two appendix appendices yep in, in here and and one has to do with magic and the other one Character names, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was <laughs> how like, to more randomize your character names. It was like, well, we only have one really legitimate appendix here. It would look weird if we only had one. And we called it an appendix, so let's create let's a, put a appendix second B. one. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we've what's it going to be? We know we're going to do a second one. What? Yeah. What do we? What do we think? What? What should be in here? Well, we just did magic. Yeah, we're all out of ideas. Hey, let's. Uh, you let's, know what's really difficult sometimes is, uh, is coming up with a name for a character when there's like a bazillion websites that have name generators. Uh, yeah, let's. And maybe let's you want well, a Chinese female name yeah. or a French male name. You guys make fun, but I do. You make fun, but I'm going to defend them yep. because you wouldn't believe how many players have come to my games. And don't have a character name. Mm-hmm. And this removes any excuse for you not to have one. Yeah, you're too lazy to go and get a character generator online or something. Just roll a die on the table that your yeah, race ro- roll is. Roll a percentile die. Like, and seriously. Take a, it, yeah. it, it takes away the excuse. Sure. I mean, I, I just thought th- th- it, it is funny. It's a very odd appendix. appendix it is, yeah. yes. I'm, we're only putting in two. And this is one of them. <laughs> but as a DM now with this book, my player comes to the table and goes, uh, I don't know what, I I don't know what my name yeah, is. I don't know what I I'm going to open name. this book to the appropriate thing oh. and say, roll. You know, I, I just tell him, like, if you, you can, I'd give him the book. I'd say, you come up with a name or I will. <laughs> and you know what? Even just, here's, here's the Dragonborn male names, either roll or choose one. Yeah. I mean, there, you can always choose. You yeah. look down the list. But, I mean, you look at the... the original player's handbook where they have a example set of examples and it's like a few like six or seven names it can like, be hard to even choose from that list this true. is taking away any just paralysis I, I and just random set baharush yeah. wong that's your that's your name now <laughs> yeah and we know that, that can work you know <laughs> so it, it is odd that it's in a whole yeah. appendix of its own but yeah. i mean did, would it have fit anywhere else in the book no was it needed? Probably not. But I mean, it, it's, it's, it's appreciated. It's appreciated. Yeah. I I think they they probably could have. I'll tell you what, shoehorned that in in, in the first Somewhere. half of the book, and come up with one other legitimate appendix here. <laughs> like, I, I, if there was any place for a whole bunch of of like off the cuff snide comments from Xanathar, that's where. Yeah, <laughs> and, think and of your own name. None, no comment from Xanathar. Well, he kind of no. stopped after the player character generation section, didn't he? Yeah, uh, like when you go to the because I was looking I specific. Was, uh, once, yeah, I'll be honest, I didn't really look. Once for you get to, I think it's chapter two. Yeah. I think he he's done with his little comments. Oh, wow, then that's yeah, just chapter another two, criticism I'll have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, chapter two. There was no real um, comments. Oh no, by well, there's, um, was there a page? Oh god, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> chapter two, Dungeon Master's Tools, page one forty five. Yeah, that's oh, when you start so getting to the. Um, did uh, we start again? Never rely on magic items. Yeah, the magic item they're one. So fickle. First yeah. they'll work and then they don't. Then they do. Then they don't because of his whole anti-magic thing. And on. <laughs> In the blink of an eye. Yeah. Oh, that's right because he's a great big guy. Mm-hmm. Anti-magic. Hilarious. 
the and then older in spells, humor. same thing. Like there's a, a thing about at the very beginning of spells. There's another one of his um, comments, yeah. and I think that's about it. Smart ass. There wasn't much after that, I don't think. Well, that match just more laziness. Come on. Uh, I think it was more that he's commenting on the types of players there are out there. Like, <laughs> and, and I mean, honestly, most of them were pretty lame. Oh, know, so. Yeah, they weren't Page exactly. Page 125's got one. Yeah. yeah. And by the time I got to spells and got like was like, oh, they've included all the ones. I don't have to carry around an adventure module yeah. anymore that I would only carry around for the spells from it. Yeah, and which you could also get just from downloading, because you could download that section for free from Wizard site. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, now I mean, it's, a, it's now all it's in one book, easy place, which right? is nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, going through like chapter two, the Dungeons Masters tools. There's a lot of little things to think about now that he sort of added in that help flesh the campaign out a little bit, like um, things to think about, like sleeping, like when you're sleeping in armor. You yeah. know, like this is you know, like if you're sleeping in light armor, you'll be okay. Anything heavier than you're not going to get such a good night's sleep. I think one of the most exciting parts about this section for me mm-hmm. was the tool expansion. That was good. Mm-hmm. That was really good. I like that because they go through every set of tools and gives you different ideas. What you can actually how, do. What you can do with it. Like different skills you can work with it. Different things you can say, okay, you've got the alchemist supplies. Well, for DC-10, you can create a puff of thick smoke or something. You can make little things like that. Like. Mm-hmm. Different ways you can use the different tool sets, which was big. Yeah. Because otherwise, I had brewer tools. Well, great. What do you do with them? I don't know. I have brewer tools. I brew. I brew stuff. I have brewing (laughs) supply. That's it. So, yeah. No, I did. I really appreciated Uh that. And I thought that was really good. Uh, And different ways you could use different um, things, too. Like, uh, also in non-standard ways. Like, where was it? I think it was, was it thieves tools or... um, because typically thieves tools were used, you know, you use them with your dexterity or whatever to to unlock things or whatever. But you could use them with your intelligence to, you know, to add your your bonus to your, with your intelligence to determine how a, a trap works. I think it was is what it was. Um, uh, you gain additional insight when looking for traps because you've learned a variety of common signs that betray yeah. their presence. So you gain a small bonus to investigation and perception when it deals with traps. Yeah. So stuff like that, like yep. using tools in non-standard ways, which is cool. Um, so it was really nice that they, they give you different ways you could do that. Um, under spellcasting, there's the whole thing about perceiving a spellcaster at work. So like you say, okay, well, this guy's starting to cast a spell. Well, now your 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 wizard can go, oh, what's, what's he casting? Do I recognize what he's trying to cast? Um, so they give, you, they give you some more expansion on that, which is kind of nice. Some easy, quick encounters, which... Yeah, easy way to. I mean, most most of the modules that they have include tables for their specific things. But this, if you're if you're creating your own adventure and you're, yeah, you know, want to craft something a little bit more specific to the environment that you're, yeah, or you want to like every adventure has like its own random counters. But you know, after a while, it's only so many times you can roll. Yeah, Yeah. you might want to adjust it a bit. Um, They give you suggestions for how to do templating. If you don't have templates, you could use dice or, or or tokens to. To simulate a template, yep. So that that's kind of nice, you know, like little things like that. And then again, another important section was revisiting the traps and mm-hmm. function yeah. design, like how how you should run the traps as a DM. It, it just it's simple little things like this that mm-hmm. put this at such a high quality. Yeah, that just have expanded the game to a point for rules knowledge that I feel. They've given enough support for a new DM to come into this game 
and start running something and be like, I'm familiar now with the mechanics really quickly because this is how I do a trap. This is how I make my own dungeon. This is how I populate it with like specific encounters and then random encounters and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I did find a few more Xanathar things and this one's kind of cute on page 93. Um, it's when you get into like the different encounter tables that they sort of have on here. And then Xanathar throws out there, crazy things happen all the time. You never know what's just around the corner or behind that door or down in that pit where I threw all those dwarves. <laughs> dwarves might be down there still. They're hardy. They bounce sometimes. <laughs> That's probably one of the best ones I read. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess there are a few in here. There are a few more to his little observations. Yeah, he's just a little more consistent yeah. with it. I think he's like every page almost in the in, player in the, in the in the whole subclass area. Stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, they give you quite a few more um, based on levels, the type of um, encounters you could have, random encounters. So that's nice. And and levels and locations, you know, deserts or coastal or forests or whatever. So yeah, there's there's actually there's quite a bit in the DM section, which mm -hmm. is yeah. nice. And uh, like I said, I think it supports a relatively new DM very well with this yeah. expansion to it. Because I mean, looking at their DM's guide for fifth edition, I was completely underwhelmed with yeah. it. Like it was, yeah. it, it was essentially a waste for anyone who's experienced with making the game. And for, if you're unexperienced, it wasn't in depth enough. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think this adds a section that just kind of is what was needed in that original book. Yeah, they no, it was sorely missing um, from the original DMG. So it's a good add-on, definitely. And even if you don't, you know, so it gives you something for both. You know, for players, it gives you a whole section on subclasses. For DMs, it gives you a really nice section on the enhancing your like game. everything too. Yeah. Like it's yeah. from downtime to molding a dungeon, like mm -hmm. and and sample traps. You know, like here, here's a bear trap or whatever. Or yeah, um, what was it? What did I see? Oh yeah, there's a bear trap, standard kind of bear trap, or fiery blast, or or how to design your own traps. Yeah. So are there any new spells that? Uh, no, I eye? don't know. I didn't know what was new and what was just a like inclusion. Mm -hmm. So I, I I didn't actually yeah. notice if there were any new spells. Yeah, like I didn't go through this. The yeah, I I, I kind of went through here, but yeah, I I couldn't tell you which one was new because all these spells definitely aren't. Yeah, just from. No, I, I recognize the ones that were from. The oh, I always forget the new name for it. Temple of Elemental Evil was yeah. the old mm -hmm. name for it, but yeah. uh, I recognize them in here. I the other ones I didn't know if they were from a previous adventure or oh, if true. they were just new right. to this book. Yeah. I mean, uh, just so for that, more than just the, those, just yeah. the bringing them all into this book, I appreciated. Yeah, yeah if there's more there than what was in the other things. That's great. Too. Yeah, and I, th I think that's that's probably the the intent. There is, you know, as a, a player, you're going to be getting the handbook and then this. Yeah. Yes. Yep. You know. No, absolutely. But... Yeah. And this is definitely worth it. I think. Oh yeah, you know what I, I, at no point, um, felt like I didn't get my money's worth. Yeah, like I said, the the first section so alone. The, yeah. the first yep. section alone was worth the value, mm -hmm. and then if you run your own games, this it just becomes that much more valuable mm -hmm. to you for the price that you pay. So, as a player, I'd get it just for that first section for yep. the options for player classes, and then you get the spells along and, with it. Yep. 
And then as a DM, you get the second section, which really helps enhance your game, and you get the spells along with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And I mean, they just missed the Temple of Annihilation, I think, for the printing of this, so there's not that stuff in here. So there's still two backgrounds that that adds that okay. aren't in here, yeah. but yeah. I mean, I, you can forgive them that, considering the closeness, they're months apart. They'd and already it's had usually, them ordered. And it's also like different teams working on them, too, yeah. so it's not always knowing what one team's doing sometimes. Plus, but, I, I'm not yeah. sure. I think they were like archaeologist and architect or something with oh, okay. the two new backgrounds. Yeah. So it's not like they're going to be super in demand, I don't think. No. They fit for that campaign, but True. Yeah. Well, I'm going to call it I'm going to call it now. At that point, there's there's going to be uh Xanathar's guide to everything else. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> now this is if this is the kind of thing you like with all the different subclasses and all that. There's also um, in the Dungeon Masters or the yeah, Dungeon Masters Guild or whatever it's called. Um, I think the yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. D- in the DMs Guild, um, there is a third party one that people have brought out. It's like a, a group of people have put together um, Xanathar's Lost Notes to everything else. Oh, see now, I, <laughs> I thought I was being unique. You were being clever. And clever. And someone beat you to it. It's um it's a twenty dollar PDF. Um, it's not official, obviously. So it wouldn't. You know, I don't know if eventually some of this might get um, approved for um, Adventure League or DM, you know, like Adventures a... League or whatever. But uh, again, it's the same kind of thing where they're expanding. It does both things. It, it expands something for the players. It gives you more classes and subclasses or whatever. Um, but it also uh, expands on the DM's side as well. Um, I haven't read it because I, I haven't purchased it. Um, but if it's something that that's something you're interested in, um, there's a uh, there's a was one blog I, I follow and his uh, by um, a gentleman who goes by Merrick uh, and I think that's his, maybe his last name. Um, but Merrick's musings, um, his his website is MerrickB.com, so M E R R I C B dot com, and he does a lot of reviews of stuff that's that's available on the DMs Guild. He'll go through adventures. I think and, he's written some too, and yeah, he definitely has. He has like a sec- he has a bunch of different adventures that he's written that's available on the DMs Guild. But he did go through the other Xanathar um, add-on, so he gives you a bit of a. I haven't fully read it yet. Um, his his review on it. But um, he does go through and, and talks about some of the stuff. He, he does note that it doesn't look like everything is fully balanced. Mm. Um, it never is. It never is. No. But um, so he, he gives his thoughts on there. So if, if, if that's something you're interested in, go check out his website and go check out his review on that. Xanathar's um, notes on everything else. Um, maybe someday I'll, I'll check it out. I don't know yet. But for now, I'm happy just using the official stuff. Well, I, I must say that when I looked at the unearthed arcana stuff yeah this stuff that ultimately led to this book yeah i was worried Mm. because you look at the guidelines as a dm on character balance now Mm -hmm. characters aren't meant to be perfectly balanced Mm -hmm. they're meant to fulfill a role and if you know you're going into a campaign that is going to be light role-playing heavy combat you don't take certain characters right if you're going into a campaign that's going to be a good mix you don't worry about balance and you take people who are your talkers and you take people who are your combatants and stuff like that. And I found that on Earth Arcana essentially broke most of the classes into 
how powerful are they on the combat side. Right, right. And they went overboard. Like, they mm-hmm. really did. Like, you talk about the Ranger, yep. the Gloomstalker. I was really worried that it was going to make it in as it wasn't on Arthur Canna. Which was I, the Doomstalker. In, or no, Deep. Deep Stalker. Deep Stalker. Yeah. Deep Stalker and, Earth Arcana. and yeah. Gloomstalker seems to have flown from that. Yeah. But it, it just added so much to the Ranger that it was just over the top and broke their own rules for how mm-hmm. to build a class. And then I looked at it in here. I'm like, okay, they understood. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Thankfully it came through in the play testing because it's not as a player, as a player, you want to have that stuff. Yep. I mean, you really do. Oh, you yeah. want to be able to just walk through stuff because you don't want, you, you want a little bit of risk, but sure. ultimately you want power. Yep. As a DM, it's a nightmare because <laughs> you look at this class and you go, if i bring something in to combat that specific class mm-hmm. i'm gonna just wreck everybody else yeah everybody right, else right. is yeah yeah so it, it just it's a nightmare from that perspective and when i saw that they toned down a lot of they, like they really went overboard with unearthed arcana and then they just pulled it right back to pulled where back a bit yeah. it's like they kind of let people see this is what we were talking about when we said this was our guidelines right and then went okay and now this is in line do you still think it's too little like you know what i mean i i think there's there's probably a couple of people out there that are are upset that their rangers oh, not gonna be well, oh, well sure I, there's sure. always gonna be yeah but, oh damn <laughs> here's the thing like My in our campaign yeah. y- if you allowed it as a dm to start you have to mm. allow them to keep it sure yeah, yeah i'm not and, and, right you know I, I, my wife's using the ranger and i'm gonna allow her to keep using <clears> the ranger but i also think it her being a little bit more powerful does help fill a bit of a role because it's a smaller group. We only yeah. four oh, yeah. of us, and we don't have a dedicated fighter. We have a monk who you know who gets con- who's combaty. Constantly rolls ones and twos. Yeah. Constantly <laughs> rolls ones and twos. So having a ranger that's a bit more combaty and oh, like and I a said, bit more it, powerful it, helps from a player's perspective. Yeah, uh, like because I'm both sides of the table quite yeah. frequently. From the player's perspective, you look at it and you go, "I want that." Yeah. From absolutely. the DM's perspective, though, it is just ripping out your hair. How do I deal with this without killing everybody else? Yeah. And I find it involves usually a lot of fudging roles and stuff, which I'm a huge fan of as a DM. Like, sure. you know, if, if someone's more powerful, you make them feel you don't hold anything back from them. Right. Where you're rolling against other people with the same type of creature, you maybe fudge those roles so that you miss in a little more or that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I look at it as dice are more of a suggestion. Yes, they're yeah. a suggestion. You roll them and then and you maybe decide. maybe you use what you rolled. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and maybe there, I'm sure there's DMs who like fervently disagree with that and just say no, no, no. It's got to be upfront. You can always use the role, and, and whatever yeah. happens, happens. But no, I, I don't want the game to. I don't want like necessarily for a, an encounter to totally wipe out a, a, a group. But I'm not against it. But you know, I want it to be more appropriate. I want it to be flavorful. I want it to be. Fun. I agree with both sentiments, which yeah. might be funny. It, it, but in the same game, I'll agree with both sentiments. Yeah. I will. If the players make a conscious choice to do something really stupid, oh sure, I will show them those roles. Mm-hmm. Hell, yeah. I'll even be mean and cheat to go the opposite way if they're getting away with it, just to give them that hint of maybe you should think a little better. Yeah. But then on the other side, if they do everything right, and mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. the encounter has been designed to just rip them a yeah, new meat one, grinder. it's like, okay, you let them feel that this is a meat grinder, but then just... Just pull it back. Give yeah. them the opportunities yeah. to get away. Maybe not win the encounter. Sure. I mean, yeah. they don't need to win. But it's okay understand to run away. they can run away. Yeah. Right? So both, I'm not a fan of just one way. Mm-hmm. It's got to be 
a good mix. You have to play with your characters because yeah. ultimately, I mean, death has to happen at yep. some point. Yep. So you can't keep it out of a game because otherwise your players just walk through going, eh, I, yeah. I'm just going to jump through this yeah. hole in the wall and nothing ever is going to bad. You know, I can deal with whatever. Yeah. If they have that, that glimpse of fear that you're going to be mean to them, mm-hmm. then then they're a little more cautious. Randall and never let me die. <laughs> and the other scope of it is if they take unnecessary risk, they know they're they're going to take that risk and possibly die. On the other mm-hmm. end, they know that you're also looking out for them, that you're you're not really against them. You're just yeah. you're there to tell their story. I'm not trying for a TPK, right. but it can happen. And it almost happened once. It yes. almost <laughs> happened. Yeah. And luckily, you're fast enough to stay away from the giants. Expeditious retreat, and they took enough damage yeah. that they actually retreated. So walk softly and carry a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> In this case, yeah. a sorcerer. A sorcerer. Yeah. With I mean, a scroll. I think it was a scroll, wasn't it? What was it? What wasn't what? expeditious retreat a scroll? A... Oh yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. But I, I immediately next level swapped out a <laughs> first level spell and took it because yeah. I'm like this we're going like, down a lot <laughs> we need this yeah. <laughs> we need someone who can run around with a med kit <laughs> yeah yeah cleric's certainly not doing it yeah <laughs> well, yeah. well yeah, I think kind of I think you and I are on the same page with clerics in that damage output be, yeah. is more yeah. important than mitigation yeah. if you're spending your entire time just healing the damage that was done last turn yeah. what are you really doing you're just Buying around. buying around yeah uh, if you put a person down that saves you the healing spell mm-hmm. yeah and it's a, it, it's taken me a little little bit to i mean i hadn't played a cleric in in so long so it's um yeah i'm, I'm i think i'm just starting to kind of find its legs and well especially with the spell changes right how it how it's best used in in combat you know yeah it's not just Oh, I got I got to stay within range of the monker or, or ranger because when they go down, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to bring them back in. You know, it's yeah, different. Yeah, it's like you're you gotta you have your few spells that you can do damage with, and then there's a lot of utility choices mm-hmm. and stuff like that that you're boosting them. You don't want to pick them up off the ground. You want to make them hit harder right yeah. from the start. Yeah. So, yeah, that it's an interesting. It's one of the harder classes, I think, to really mm-hmm. get past the well, perspective and, of your medic, and and certainly in five e because in in previous previous editions, you know, and I think I think maybe that's you know I think people see that that the cleric is not the um, you know the first choice anymore. It's not he used to be overpowered. He was, yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah I mean, it, I think it's just that he has to be played differently now. Yeah, they, they toned down the spells low throughout, but at the mm-hmm. same time, made them more functional. Mm-hmm. Like, a magic missile is going to be useful from level one to level whatever, because you yeah. can upcast it, that kind of thing. So, they've limited yeah. the amount of spell types in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. and then expanded the usefulness of them. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I find a, as a welcoming change. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Like, I, I was a little bit frustrated to, to start with that. Um, you know, I, I, I felt I wasn't, I wasn't really effective in combat, but I'm, I'm playing my cleric a little bit different and, uh, I think I'm getting better results. Yeah. No, oh, absolutely. Yep. Trying to make use of Well, and when you know you have things. a sorcerer who's going to pick you all up at the end of the fight. <laughs> you know, you just kind of hang out at the back with him and, uh, you know, he, he casts a, a, you know, some chained spell that, you know, puts down a flock of giants and... You know, I just use my little cantrip. 
Well, uh, to be fair, I, I, I didn't put them down, but it made them die in two turns. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're just splitting hairs. <laughs> I rarely get the killing stroke, that, which is fine with me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind getting That, that means I'm too let, close, usually. Letting you get them down to two hit points and then me, mm-hmm. I don't know, tripping on Flicking something. Flicking him in the ear yeah. or something. Yeah. Okay. So good, yeah. Yeah, no, so Xanathar's Guide, we recommended. recommended definitely, yes. everyone recommends it. A good investment, and it'll definitely enhance your game. Uh, I don't know how many eye stocks he has, but that number up. Eight. Sure. Is eight. That what the, I think it's eight is for a Eight for eye a stocks up. He's got at least nine. Oh, maybe. Yeah, it does look like he has more than eight, so I don't know what it, what's standard for a beholder. But I'd say ten. He's got ten. Yeah, it looks there like it, doesn't it? Well, I don't have my monster's guide close enough to like oh. say how many rays he has. I got mine. We don't. We don't need to look it up yeah, just for for a bad joke. <laughs> this is true. We don't need to know. But anyways, okay. So that's the, our second segment. So it's going to be the close of the episode. Uh, before we close, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Um, typically, at, at the end of these episodes, I always throw in a little bit of music. Um, I always grab something from Creative Commons or you know something that's open source and and throw it out there. I try to pick songs that maybe relate to the the theme, but not always, you know, whatever can I can shoehorn in there. But I look for something that's interesting and I throw it at the end of the the episode. Uh for Christmas I do things a little bit differently. Um the song I I, I like to pick this is the second Christmas that we're we're doing now and the, the song I like to pick is um is not a creative common song, but the reason I pick it it's um it's sort of a Christmassy song and it's by a gentleman um, you may have heard of called Tim Minchin, and it's a song called "White um, White Wine in the Sun." It's his little Christmas song. It's he's not a he's a more of a secular person, and he he wrote a, a song that's more secular for Christmas. But um, the reason I mention it, I always put a link to it, um, is because all the proceeds from this song that he you know during the month of December, he donates to. Um, the National Autism Society, and I think it's more of an Australian society. I don't know if it's if it's it's North American, but whatever, it's it's going to a good cause. So if you really like the song, I encourage you to go to Amazon or or somewhere that you know he has a few different links that where you can go and purchase the song, and it helps you know helps helps with autism, helps with the research, or helps with you know people who have special needs and and could use the the money. So that's why I sort of throw this song at the end of the Christmas episode. It's not Creative Commons, but I think it's it's a good cause, and so I just want to promote that. Um, so that's the song you're going to get again at the end of this uh, episode. But other than that, um, you know, thanks for listening. Um, follow us on our website at www.boardnowgaming.com. Um, you can find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Or, uh, we have a subreddit on Reddit. Um, you can subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or use your, your favorite um, RSS feed um, app like um, to, that you use for subscribing to board um, to podcasts and, and use that to, uh, to follow us. That'd be great. Um, go to Board Game Geek and you can um, find our guild, which we also have a link to on our website. And that's where I put all our show notes. And there's also little forms there. So if you decide you want to reach out and talk to us about an episode or, or something, you know, that's a great place to do it. Um, but, you know, don't feel free to contact us other ways too, like through Facebook, Reddit, or even just through an email through our website. That all works. 
and we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your thoughts. Um, maybe you don't agree with us on the games, and maybe you have some valid points, and just let us know. Maybe you liked Yeto. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're maybe one you of really those love people. Yeto, and, that's, and that's okay. We're not judging you. I'm well, judging you. Okay, Drew's judging <laughs> But um, anyways, again, uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, which will most likely be in the new year, uh, keep on gaming. Good night. Board now. I really like Christmas It's sentimental, I know But I just really like it I am hardly religious I'd rather break bread with Dawkins than Desmond Tutu to be honest And yes, I have all of the usual objections To consumerism To the commercialization of an ancient religion To the westernization of a dead Palestinian press Ganged into selling playstations and beer But I still really like it I'm looking forward to Christmas Though I'm not expecting A visit from Jesus I'll be seeing my dad My brother and sisters My gran and my mom They'll be drinking white wine in the sun I'll be seeing my dad My brother and sisters My gran and my mom They'll be drinking white wine in the sun I don't go in for ancient wisdom don't believe just cause ideas are tenacious It means that they're worthy I get freaked out by churches Some of the hymns that they sing have nice chords But the lyrics are spooky and yes, I have all of the usual objections To the miseducation of children Who in tax-exempt institutions Are taught to externalize blame And to feel ashamed And to judge things as plain right or wrong But I quite like the song I Expecting big presents The old combination of soft chops and chocolates Is just fine by me Cause I'll be seeing my dad My brother and sisters, my gran and my mom 
They'll be drinking white wine in the sun. I'll be seeing my dad, my brother and sisters, my gran and my mom. They'll be drinking white wine in the sun. And you, my baby girl, my jet lagged infant daughter, you'll be handed round the room like a puppy at a primary school. And you won't understand, but you will learn someday that wherever you are and whatever you face. These are the people who make you feel safe in this world, my sweet blue-eyed girl. And if my baby girl, when you're 21 or 31, and Christmas comes around. And you find yourself nine thousand miles from home. You'll know whatever comes. Your brothers and sisters and me and your mom will be waiting for you in the sun whenever you come. And sisters, your aunts and your uncles, your grandparents, cousins, and me and your mom will be waiting for you in the sun, drinking white wine in the sun. Darling, when Christmas comes, we'll be waiting for you in the sun. Drinking white wine in the sun, waiting for you in the sun, waiting for you. Sentimental, I know.